Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Hey Jeff, I'm really well. Thanks, Pastor Rowan. That's How are good. you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. We are we are backing up, but uh, these these message these two podcasts that we've backed up on are several weeks apart, aren't they? Yeah, but, they are. But so. it's it's great to be able to just take a, a, some hours out and just to just talk about the Word of God. Yeah, you were just saying, even with the new head, what's of our new headphones getting to your ear? I don't know how radio announcers do it, but we've got these fancy new yeah. headphones on. Other than that, uh, we could talk all day. I think you said exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So what we're up to today, um, we're talking about atonement. Just a small topic. Yeah, atonement. atonement. It's a big one. Yeah, I thought, wow. Yes, this is a this Thanks, is a big Jeannie, topic. for Thanks for handing. dumping that one on, on us, Jeannie. What, what was the, um, I can't remember, what's the overall topic? For the overall topic is kingdom life. Kingdom life. What it, what it means to live. It's actually kingdom life salvation. So we're going to be doing a series of kingdom life uh, themes, mission, ministry, all that sort of stuff. But this current theme over the course of kind of August is um, is about salvation. It's what it means to be, what salvation look like. Beautiful. So we're dealing with sin, atonement, eternal life, judgment, and so on. Yeah, right. I think Kenny's got eternal life and judgment coming up, I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I must admit, I was looking through the, the preaching subjects and I thought, sin, that'd be a good one to preach on. Ah, yes. You could really, you know... Fire and brimstone. That one, <laughs> <couldn't you? laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Anyway, we're going to speak about atonement today. Atonement. Now, that's a word that we throw around quite a bit, isn't it? Yeah. In Christianese. Actually, and like. deeply misunderstood too. Yeah, okay. So I had a look uh, at the, in the dictionary to try to get, make sure that I understood what atonement means. Mm-hmm. And so the dictionary meaning says to, um, Making amends for a wrong. Mm-hmm. So that's not bringing a religious idea into it. Mm-hmm. That's just what the dictionary says. So, you know, making amends for a wrong. 
there was a religious meaning mm-hmm. which said a ritual to remove obstacles, stopping reconciliation with one's wow, God. that's good. Yep. And then there was what they said was a, a biblical idea that says suffer to suffer the penalty for sins, mm-hmm. thereby removing the effect of sin from the repentant sinner and allowing him or her to reconcile to God. Mm-hmm. Which I guess they all make a bit of sense, don't they? Yeah, they all, they all have aspects in them, good aspects of what I think the biblical doctrine of atonement is. It's certainly not as, I wouldn't say they cover all aspects of it, but they have a big part of it. Okay. Yeah. Now, as Pastor Rowan, what is your... What do you think atonement means? Well, I'm glad you asked you. Um, <laughs> first, I'd say this. The word, this might not be obvious if you look at the word, but if you take a step back from the word, the etymology, which means the, the way the word is, has come about, it actually is a three-part word, at one meant, at one meant. Okay. And we turn it into atonement. But if you look at the word, you go, oh, of course it means at one meant. Yeah. And what it actually, that, that carries with it, that concept of of that reconciliation one you mentioned, being reconciled to God, it's actually two parties being recon- reconciled or reunited, coming back to one. Yeah. They were apart and now they're being put back together. So the process of putting two things that are apart back together, back to one. So that's the at one meant, the atonement. So there's that com- component. That's where the English word comes from. Where this gets challenging is that the Greek Sorry, the Hebrew word, atonement is actually a principle that we're going to see. We're going to do a whole stack of scriptures in Leviticus, and we're going to do some Hebrews scriptures. And um, we're going to see that the practice of atonement in Leviticus was a, a ritual practice, which is what the religious one you read there, the ritual practice of atonement. So the Hebrew word is kapor. Um, there's a day in the Jewish calendar called Yom Kippur, which yeah. Jews still practice today. I happened to be in Israel when Yom Kippur was on and literally everything shuts down. It's like Good Friday. Yep. Nothing's open. It's their holiest day of the year. We There was a whole lot of secular Jews went to the beach, so there was some stuff happening. But apart from that, no one, all, all Orthodox Jews don't do anything. So the word Kippur has two different meanings. You can They actually seem quite different from one another. One is a ransom which you picked up in, what, what was your meaning there? It was like uh, something paid for something. What was the first meaning you gave me? Making amends for making, a wrong. Making amends for a wrong. So that sense of ransom, that sense sense of substitutionary, I've done something wrong, I need to make amends, or I need to pay a penalty. Yep. And it's found in, you know, I think there's a principle in Leviticus where, you know, if an, if an owner's ox gores somebody else, they could be, um, you know, they could, they could, and, and kill a slave or something. They could uh, make atonement. They could pay a wrong to compensate. It's a compensation yeah. thing. So there's that aspect of it. The, um, the, the ransom component. There's also um, a different aspect of atonement, which we'll come to. It'll come up in our conversation, um, which is, is similar, but, but slightly different in, in the meaning. Um, and it has to do with um, this whole concept of joining two things together, uh, of a reconciliation of two things that were apart coming back together. So in its essence, that's what it means. It means an aspect of how, how, what is the process by which two parties that um, are at odds with one another being reconciled? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's great. That's a good way. Now I would add that there is, um, there's a whole thing called the atonement debates out there. 
because of some of these things I just said, what is the real definition of atonement? What actually happens? And Jesus is our atonement. So what actually happens? And um, the atonement debates are based on different aspects of what Jesus actually did when he died. Now, I don't know what you would say um, if I was to just, if I was to ask you what do you think atonement means when it says Jesus has become our Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. What what does that mean, Jeff, to you? I guess he, oh boy, this is <laughs> it's tricky, isn't it? He has paid the price for my sin, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, in paying that price, that that is the act of atonement. Yep, that's yep. I guess no, that's I would... and that is. Um, so that is what I would expect the standard evangelical answer to be. And that's not wrong uh, at all. That's definitely not wrong. I think where I would say is I think as I've looked into the, a bit more into the whole concept of atonement, I think that's one aspect of what Jesus does. I mean, we, we, don't, we do the right thing by amping that up. He paid the price. We've mm-hmm. just seen in the language there. He paid for my sin. But actually there is more depth than just that. I'm just going to uh, see if I can find some of my some of my notes. I'll, I'll pull them up as we as we talk, actually. But I have some some notes around uh, that I pulled up in preparation for this today, just to, uh, around how do we deal with this issue of of what atonement really means, and and what actually is taking place when Jesus dies on the cross for yeah. our sins. Sure. There is a sense in which He pays a price for us. But there's also other senses that will come up in the meaning of atonement that I think we miss sometimes yeah, that sure. are more subtle. So as we read through the scriptures, we'll see it. Suffice it to say that there are atonement, what they call the atonement debates. What is the nature of atonement? What is actually taking place? Um, and I'll just actually, I did, find, here we go. I'm just going to show you the, I'll just read these different theories of atonement. There's actually several of them. Um, we'll just read these now and then it'll give us some perspective as we get into the study. So the theories are the Christus Victor, or the ransom theory. This theory suggests that Christ's death was a ransom paid to Satan in satisfaction for the bondage of the human race under sin. It's often associated with the broader Christus Victor motif, where Jesus triumphs over the powers of sin and death. So that, that argument says, well, we, all humanity was owned by Satan because we had given over and surrendered our authority to in the garden. And a price had to be paid, a ransom had to be paid, and Jesus paid that ransom to buy back, you see this is all in New Testament language, buy back from the devil the authority of humanity. Okay? Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm not sure I agree with that one. You can see aspects of it, right? But, But yes, that's right. The satisfaction theory is number two. Proposed by Anselm of Canterbury, this theory proposes that Christ's death was necessary to satisfy the honor of God which was injured by human sin. So this is not buying back from the devil. This is actually satisfying the honor of God because God has been dishonored by human behavior. The debt of sin could not be paid by humans. So, sorry, I lost my place there. The debt of sin could not be paid by humans. So Christ, being both divine and human, paid that debt on our behalf. What do you think of that one? Yeah, that's coming closer to what I think. Closer to I think, yeah. This is one I think you'll probably resonate with the most. Number three is the penal substitution theory. This is rooted in the Reformation. This is why evangelicals would hold to this one. This theory, particularly pop- popular in Protestant theology, posits that Christ took the penalty of sin upon himself as a substitute for us. It carries legal connotations, suggesting that God's righteousness and justice required punishment for sin, 
but his love provided Jesus as a substitute to bear his punishment. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not real sure about the punishment for sin. Mm-hmm. I think they maybe could substitute a different word there, but anyway, go on. Okay. Yep. That's good. So you've picked up some, something there because that's a pretty standard belief that God punished Jesus for us. And th- there are a lot of people who go, no, no, God didn't punish Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's, that's the nuance there. You've picked up on something. Number four, the moral influence theory. This theory ser- emphasize, uh, sorry, emphasizes Jesus' death as a supreme example of self-sacrificial love intended to draw humans towards love for God and for one another. Rather than appeasing God's wrath or paying a legal penalty, this view sees atonement as a demonstration of love that is powerful enough to transform hearts. Mm, I like some aspects of that too. You can yeah. see where you're going. Yeah, so sure. in other words, the example of Jesus somehow inspires us to live differently. I have problems with parts of that theory because I think sin, the sin nature that we have inside us, if it, if it was only just Jesus' example, how can watch good moral examples and it doesn't, it doesn't, it, a good moral example can inspire me, but it, it doesn't empower me to change. I need mm-hmm. something more than just an inspiration. I need to be inspired, yes, but I need something to deal with the sin nature inside me. So I would lean to that fact that there's something in Jesus' death which has actually defeated sin in me so that I can live right. So good aspects. Fight number five, the governmental theory proposed by Hugo Grotius. This theory suggests that Christ's suffering was a divine demonstration of the fact that God's laws had been broken by sin. It emphasizes God's moral governance government rather than his personal honor or legal justice. I'm not even presuming to know exactly what that's saying. I need more information about that one. Um, I can't I can't really grasp that example. I'd have to dig into that a bit more or maybe ask GPT or find a commentary to give me a bit more. Number six, this one is deeply rooted in the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur, the scapegoat theory. Mm. According to this theory, Jesus functions as the ultimate scapegoat absorbing and exposing the violence inherent in human social structures. His resurrection vindicates his innocence and reveals the injustice of scapegoating. So we use the term scapegoat without even realizing it's actually a biblical term. It comes yep. from the Day of Atonement. Number seven, the last one listed here is the recapitulation theory proposed by Irenaeus of Alexandria. This theory holds that Christ, through his incarnation, his life, his death, and his resurrection, he reversed the course of human decline into sin by recapitulating or redoing human history in himself. So rebooting the human history program. My notes go on to say, each theory reflects different scriptural emphases and theological perspectives, and most Christians find value in multiple theories rather than just strictly adhering Mm. to just one. Yeah, I think I could take a bit from here and a bit from there and put it together. And I don't remember hearing about love in there at all, but I think, Jesus' love for people, yep. maybe there was kind of I think they're in that referencing one, it when they're saying his selfless denial of yeah. giving up of himself is love. There's yeah. a moral aspect there. Yeah. yeah, in the same way that, you know, if if one of our children committed a sin that deserved death, we'd yep. say, let them live, take me. Take me. That's right. That's the selfless love component. Yeah. So so the reason I thought it was important when we're talking about atonement, just to bring this up as an introduction, is that um, there are, I've only become aware of this in the last few years, but this has been these have been debates that have been raging through church history. Yeah, sure. And it's just that Protestant churches, and I'll be listening to our listeners will just emphatically stick to penal substitution one. They'll yep. go one hundred percent that the rest are all heresy. 
I don't believe that. I think there are aspects and I think there are some problems, even with the penal substitution theory that I've come to realize, which is the one I would probably stick closest to. But I think there are some problems when I now go back into Leviticus and I actually look at what was the process of atonement because we can Mm -hmm. speculate about what atonement looks like, but the best place to interpret the Bible is to let the Bible interpret the Bible. And when we go back and do that, we'll actually start to see that, oh, what was happening in those ritual processes in Leviticus in the desert with slaughtering of animals and all this, that actually is commentating for us on what atonement is in a way that maybe we aren't aware of. It's not all penal substitution. Let's just put it that way. There's more going on than just that. I think that's right. So maybe we'll we'll get there. So don't be frightened off by that, listeners. It's actually a fascinating conversation. Um, But the, the sum total of it all is that something that Jesus has done if I was to, if you ask me to sum up right now what I think atonement is, through Jesus' death on the cross, he has yes he has paid a price for us, but I think it's not just this purely, just purely a ransom price. I think it's more than that. I think Jesus' death on the cross, he's willing give up. It does inspire me towards morality. On his death, he absorb. I think he absorbed the power of sin into himself, defeated sin, and he reset humanity. And now that power of sin that tries to still want me to live by the flesh and define what's right for me and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I now have power over that to say no to that. Mm -hmm. No matter how much I want to say no to that, without Jesus, I can't say no to that. But because of Jesus' atonement, I've now been empowered to say no to that. And Romans 7 says... um, Paul goes on with, I want to do the right thing, but I keep doing the wrong thing. I hate the way I am because I know I should be doing right and I keep doing wrong. What a wretched man I am. Who can rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus who has rescued me. Through his death, he has empowered me now so I can say no to sin. I am empowered. God's. I talked about this with Jeannie uh, several weeks ago, uh, that God's grace is his empowering presence in me that enables me to live right. So it's more than just, oh, it'd be nice to live like Jesus. I can. I can now. I'm empowered to live like Yeah, him. sure. It's all summed up in this this concept of atonement. Yeah, right. And 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 as is so often the case, words that we use in, in our Western language, or English anyway, are kind of very small, I suppose. They, they maybe yes. only have one meaning. But yes. in the Hebrew... It, it could you know, be quite it, diverse. Can, yeah, and so, you know, I'm, I guess I'm picking up on what you said about that bringing things back together. Yes. You know, when we think about Jesus' atonement, there's the act of deciding that he's going to do it in the first yes. place. yep, yep. There's what he went through to achieve that atonement. Yep. And then there's the… The, the result. The result. Yes. Yeah, the bringing yes. back together. Yes. You know, it's such a… a more of a it's a richer round div- word, isn't it? It's much yeah. more diverse than just one aspect. And I think yeah. I'd say that is is don't just we limit ourselves by just sticking to one aspect. The 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 grace Paul goes oh the depths and riches and knowledge of the grace of God or something like that. He says yeah. it's like he goes this is too marvelous for words. And I think we shouldn't. While it's good to have doctrine and and try to figure things out, when it comes to something like this, we can't limit what Jesus did on the cross to some single doctrinal statement. It's so vast. It's yeah. so rich. It's so deeply embedded with Jewish history and meaning and purpose. That, mm. So he says, oh, how wonderful it is to be able to mine the riches of this. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And even for us that are not, you know, Hebrews, yes, we, we can 
have the have that that what Jesus did on the cross just doing things in us, can't we? And yes. we discover more like you said, mine those riches yeah. and wow, this you know, it wasn't just making a way for me to get to heaven, but Oh, actually come close. Yes, draw near. Yeah. And and you know, it's a good segue into the Leviticus scriptures because we these some of these passages we're going to read would be among the passages that I imagine most people would just skip right over. Yeah, for sure. All these weird sacrifices and feasts and all that sort of stuff. They go, what relevance is that for me today? That's right. But it's so exciting when you yeah. read it. And well, it actually gives meaning. And we're going to go into Hebrew scriptures, which is all about Jesus as our atonement. And and you got to, you can't have the Hebrews ones without the Leviticus ones because that's where it's anchored in. So if you can take the time to bear with us and and discover some of the riches, I don't know all your questions you're going to ask, but we we will find a bunch. In, <laughs> we will find in Leviticus um, some very interesting insights into this practice and what Jesus has done yeah, for us for sure. Okay, we're going to um, be having a look at Leviticus chapter 16 as part of our discussion on atonement. So I want to read from verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. The atonement cover. So this this is Old Testament stuff that happened in the temple. Yep. Well, in this case, it's in the tabernacle. They haven't built the temple. They're in okay. the desert still at this point. The tabernacle. So it's a little tent. It's a tabernacle. Okay, right. But it's a small version of a temple. Right. So the atonement cover, or um, which is... There's a few different names for mercy it, seat. It? The mercy seat, yep. and to, it, it's more of a a gold top that went over the ark, yep. if you like. I actually just watched Raiders of the Lost Ark oh, this week, yeah. just in preparation for the new indie movie that's about to come out. So oh, I've right, got to re- yeah. rehash myself for the yeah, final right. chapter of indie. Yeah. So I watched it. I saw the atonement yeah, cover and yeah. all the things coming yeah. out, and, <laughs> it's yeah. right, yeah. melting their faces off and so on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, yeah, so the atonement cover was a cover over the atonement. Which God had had asked them to build. Yep, and um, it was a place where they would they would sprinkle the blood on top of the atonement cover. Yep, which would be part of the sacrifice for the sin. Yes. Okay. Anything else you want to sort of add there? Oh, let's let's. I said this before. Let's take a step up. Yep. And let's look at this at a um at a macro level macro, that'll yep. help us. So what we are seeing here is this tabernacle is a new Eden on the earth. Yes. Um, everything about this tabernacle is referencing the original description of Eden in Genesis 2. Uh, there's it's cherubim, there's seraphim. This is the dwelling place of God. This is the new touchdown point on the earth. And so in this uh, tabernacle, and I've talked about this with Jeannie too, but in this in this tabernacle, we have multiple parts. To it. We have the outer court, we have the holy place, and we have the most holy place, which is this final curtain, this tiny little room where the only thing in there is the ark and the mercy seat on top of the ark, as you've said. This is supposed to be um, re-entering Eden. So when God says in chapter verse 2 there to tell Moses to tell Aaron, don't just show, walk up into Eden whenever you want. Yep. I'm going to show you 
some things that you need to do in order to return to Eden. Yep. What I do love about this, though, is this is actually God choosing to come to humans. It's the opposite of what he did. When Adam and Eve, they were expelled from Eden yes. because of their sin. But this is now God saying, I don't want to stay away from these humans. I want to reinstitute Eden. Yeah. So I'm going to come and plonk myself down in the middle of their tent, in the middle of their camp, and I'm going to make an Eden here, and I want them to come back in again. Yep. This is the way back into God's presence. This tells me something of this love of our God, that he actually doesn't stay distant. He plonks himself down in the middle of the desert among his people. He says, I want to create a, a way for my people to come back into Eden. Remember with Eden, there was a, and, and when God barred the way, there was a seraph with a flame. Well, that tells me something. You're not getting back in there again. Yeah. <laughs> or if you are, you're going to be sliced. You're going to die. Yeah, yeah. It's actually yeah. saying, if you want to come back, you're going to die. Well, what we're going to see here in this atoning process is that the way back into Eden is actually death. Yep. Jesus says the way to life is to give up your life. That the way to come into God's presence is to die to ourselves. And so this is this is actually a whole bunch of laws. We call it law. This is Torah. Torah, T-O-R-A-H, means instruction mm -hmm. or teaching. This is teaching us something about God and about us. So as we unpack these atonement processes, this is saying you can't just come flippantly into God, into God's presence. However, I'm going to teach you through some ritual practices, some things that are going to look weird to us in the 21st century, some strange things that ritual practices that you have to do. But in these ritual practices, you're going to learn something about the process of one, I want to come to you, but then how do you come to me? How can yeah. you come into my presence? So that's the macro 30,000 foot view of what's yep. happening here. That's great. Without that, this just looks like a whole lot of weird ritual. Yes, it does. Definitely. For sure. Let's have a look at verse 34. Kind of when things start to happen. So so God, you know, he he lays down all these, these things that Aaron has to do before he's allowed to come mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. uh, anywhere near the uh, the atonement cover. In verse 34, it says, This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. So this was a yearly sacrifice, if you like, uh, or what What do we call it now? When you, A confession, maybe? When we go to confession? Uh, yes. Take yes. our sins if, if and where? Yep, it, that, that would probably be where partly this principle of confession yeah. comes from. In the Absolved of our sins yep. and we're washed yep. clean or whatever. Yep. But this only happened once a year. This particular process only Correct. happened once yeah. a year. This yep. day of atonement. Yep. yep. There was, there was other sacrifices. Well, there, was, there were several types of sacrifices that would take place every day, but this yep. was a once a year thing. This is a once a year sacrifice for... All of Israel. Yep. So it wasn't like people had to bring their own goats, did they? The Aaron just bought. This was this was there was two goats involved in oh, this two, process. Yeah, two yes. goats or two, and yep. a ram and a bull. That's right. There was two yep. animals. Yep. I think they use rams, but they or a bull for a sin offering. There was there was part that's of this. Right, yep. That's right. But there was these two 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 goats. One that, for the Lord. Yep. And one to be the scapegoat. The scapegoat to be sent away with yep. the, with the, all the sins for the Israelites. So yeah. it was. It was rather than an individual sacrifice, it was a, a sacrifice done for the, the whole yep. nation yep. of Israel. Yep. So let Is me, right? yep, that's exactly right. So it was something that was happening once a year. Now, the other meaning, I mentioned there were two meanings for the word kapoor. There was yep. this, this whole concept of ransom. 
The other one is covering, that it okay. covers over. And Hebrews picks up on this and says, it was impossible for the bulls of goats to actually take away sin. They just covered over sin. So what was happening at Yom Kippur was like a, like a reset. Yeah. It was like a covering over, a new layer of soil on top of the dirt. The dirt yep. was still there, yep. but it was like let's, uh, every year let's just put new soil down. Yep. But in the, event, in the end, the mountain of sin got so big, it was only, there was only one thing that could actually take away altogether, completely clear the gland. That was, that was the death of a sinless son of God. Yep. So that's the atonement. That's the, the atonement. Let me ask you a question because this has been quite revolutionary to me. Let's just walk our way through the day of atonement process. Before I do, let me ask you this. When a, when a regular animal is sacrificed on the altar, Let's say, and, and I realise to some of our listeners, this is um, yep, awkward talk to talk about sacrificing animals, and I won't be able to have today to go into all of that. But this is a practice that was very common in that they they understood yep. somehow that they had to offer sacrifices. God uses the practices. This sacrifice animal sacrifice process was something very common to the time. Um, all pagan nations did it, but God repurposes it in the Torah and teach and, and uses it for a different purpose. It's not for the same purpose as they thought it was. They actually thought they were appeasing the God or feeding the gods, um, appeasing the gods' wrath or whatever. That's a little bit yeah. different in this. So let's take a regular sacrifice. I've sinned against you. Yep. I walk up into the temple and I say, I've sinned against Jeff. I need to repent for that sin against Jeff. I need to offer an animal sacrifice. So the animal is sacrificed to me. And then what happens is that animal sacrifice, um, they'll take a bit of the blood and they will do various things with that blood and they'll take the meat of the animal and they'll offer it on the altar and it'll be burned as a sacrifice. What is that representing about Jesus? What would you say that process is representing about Jesus? If Jesus is the ultimate lamb of God, if you like. Well, I guess the the if it was a lamb that you sacrificed, well, then that would be Jesus would be the lamb. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's awkward, isn't it? Because it, how does that really help me? If you've sinned against me, sacrificing an animal mm. over there, that doesn't really help me, does it? If so you gave the animal to me, yeah, that might help me. That might help you. You know? Okay, so now you're starting to see why we need to think through atonement a little bit more sensitively. This is the beginning of why we can't just accept atonement. We have to. The best way to understand atonement is to actually ask ourselves what's actually happening. What what is what are these ritual acts representing? Yeah, that's actually taking place in the temple. What actually is that lamb become? So I've walked up, I have laid my hands on this lamb, and I have. Um, and then that lamb now in some way represents me yep. and it dies in my place. That's what we would traditionally yes. say. It, it dies so I don't have to die. Okay. That's part of the truth. But the point of it is that God was willing to accept a blameless lamb in place of me. That lamb gave up its life so I wouldn't have to give up my life. And I'm aware that this is going to be really hard to work through. It's yep. in a podcast. It's really this is Bible college or Bible discussion group, but it's good to know what's actually taking place there. For instance, has that lamb beca- become my sin offering? As in, did it take all my sin? Did that lamb? Well, then, not literally. Not literally. But 
So when at the point when that lamb was sacrificed, um, does it represent my sin? I guess it does for the purpose of atonement. Okay. That sounds good. And that's where we automatically go to. And you can see where I'm going to go with this because Jesus, we could say, well, Jesus took my sin. But we're just reading here. We haven't read it. But Leviticus 16 is the day of Yom Kippur. Which of the two goats takes the sin of the people? Right. So the scapegoat takes the sin of the people. Yeah. Where does the scapegoat go? goes out into the desert. And right. And lives. presumably, do- well, it, it well, does, but presumably eventually it dies. But the point is that that sin is being taken away. It's actually not the lamb that's being offered or the goat that's being offered on the on the altar yeah, that's right. taking the sin. It's okay. the other one. What okay. if you've ever stopped to think about that? Yeah. So it, it should start, start, straight away start to help us to think, okay, what's going on with this lamb that's being offered? If it's not bearing my sin, what is it doing? Could you say that's going to have start to have implications for what Jesus might have done mm. when he died on the cross? If it's not Bearing, if it's not taking our sin, we, we use this language almost instinctively. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So let's let the scriptures interpret the scripture. Okay. So the the lamb, then this, this isn't in Leviticus sixteen. This is in earlier in Leviticus. These these are the lamb sacrifices. These there's five different kinds of offerings. That I think there's five offerings. Three of them were to do with atonement. Um, one of them is a food offering. There's different things, but the five different kinds of offerings: sin offering. Fellowship offering, peace offering, different. They have different names. Yeah. Five different types of offerings that we just daily practice within within the temple. Plus this once a year um, Yom Kippur and once a year um, uh, Passover. They were probably the main sacrificial processes that took place. So, so this is how this is what's actually happening. Let's use let's actually use, let's use Leviticus sixteen. And apologies if I'm all over the place. I'm just thinking this through. Let's use this passage we're in, the Day of Atonement. So we have. What's happened is the priest has come and he has laid his hands upon the scapegoat and transferred the sins of all of the people into the scapegoat. And then the scapegoat has been led out into the desert. Yep. There's another goat left, which now no, no mention of that one having sins laid upon it. And it gets offered up as a sacrifice on the altar. So what's going on? If it's not bearing our sins, what are we, what's the Torah? What's the instruction? What are we learning about God and the way to God through this animal? Oh. So. Oh, gee, is it giving a bit of ourselves to God? Is that what it's about? Or just saying, I don't know, is it saying sorry? Yeah, you tell it, me, you, tell me. Oh, you tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. <laughs> I don't presume to have all the answers, but here's where I'm, here's where yeah, I'm sitting at the moment with it. Remember the macro level is God's trying to instruct us in how what the process is to get back into his presence. He yeah. wants to come and dwell with us, but we, we have to go through certain preparations, right? So now this other lamb, it hasn't had this goat, lamb, whatever. It hasn't had the sins pronounced upon it, but it's had its hands laid upon it. Now in the New Testament and throughout the Bible in the Old Testament too, when, when, when the laying on of hands happens, it's appointing a representative. God anointed yeah. the king or the prophet are anointed and laid hands on for the purpose of appointing a representative to operate on behalf of another. So the king is operating as God's representative, God's 
um, representative on the earth. So when I, when I walk into the, when I walk up to the tabernacle and I lay my hand on this animal and say, please sacrifice this animal, I am appointing that animal to represent me yep. for all intents and purposes where that animal goes, I go. So when an ambassador goes into a foreign embassy, um, it's not just the ambassador, it's the entire nations, literally, figuratively speaking, not literally, figuratively, that entire governance structure is with that ambassador. So now wherever this animal is going to go from this moment on when I've laid my hands on it, I'm actually there. I'm oh, right. Okay. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not outside anymore. That animal is now representing me. So what's going to happen is that animal who is blameless, nothing wrong with that animal. The other one's the one that's had the sin that's been cast yep. out. This animal is a blameless animal. It doesn't need to die. Theoretically, that animal could walk all the way in. It's just an innocent, perfect, blameless animal. It could yeah. walk all the way inside the temple into the tabernacle and jump up on the Ark of the Covenant and God wouldn't have a problem with it mm-hmm. because it's blameless. But now it represents me. And because it represents me, I can't get any further than that point because there's a big flaming cherubim there yep. with a sword. The way beyond this is going to require me to die. That animal who represents me now willingly says, doesn't willingly, but it's fig- it's figuratively representing a willing sacrifice. Yep. And in all ancient biblical, uh, in all ancient sacrifices of all religions, the animal needed to be seen to be willing to be sacrificed. Yep. If it didn't, the sacrifice was seen as um, off. Yep. The gods weren't favoring that sacrifice. So this animal has to be seen to be willingly offering itself. It doesn't need to die, but it's saying. The animal's saying, I will willingly die on your behalf. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now the way through. So now I'm dead. I'm, I'm that animal. I'm dead. But we're going to see this in Leviticus 17 when we get there. I know we're a bit all over the shop with this, but we need to go there. Leviticus 17, twice it says, the life of the animal is in what? In the blood. In the blood. And it, refu- and it says, don't eat the blood. I don't know if you have any questions about that. We might come back to that in a minute, right? Now, um, some religions say, well, we can't eat blood for that reason. It's kosher or whatever. But in this culture, God is saying, you understand that that blood represents the life of that being. So when that animal is on, on Yom Kippur on this day, the, the meat of the animal is now being burned on the altar. You know what they're doing with the blood? You've, you just read it. They're sprinkling it on, on the They're actually taking on the atonement seat. Okay. On the mercy seat. Yep. So that animal has died, and yet that animal is still alive. And that that's somehow getting us onto the mercy seat. <sighs> you got it. Beautiful. So that animal is still alive. Yeah. The part of it has died because I had to die, but I am still alive figuratively in, in the, the blood. blood. And that blood is now being taken all the way into God's presence. And so as it, as my representative that blood is now my representative and now I can come boldly into the very throne room of God and I am figuratively coming through that. Wow. Hebrews is going to riff off this. And it's showing that there's a series, we can come to God's presence, but it's going to require death. Yeah, okay. It's going to require death to self. So if to equate that to um, a Christian life, we turn to Christ, we get our sins forgiven, then we need to give our lives over to Christ. Yeah, we actually die. Yeah, well, we die by, yeah. gi- by, giving, our by life giving our lives to over Christ. to Christ. Yeah. And I think that's the Gee, that's, Torah yeah. that the Hebrew New Testament's picking up on. If you want to find your life, you give up your life. Mm. If you want to live the best life, you'll die. You'll find it by taking up your cross, 
by picking up your instrument of sacrifice yeah, yeah. and following me. Yeah. How about that? How about that? That's great. Thanks so, so much for that. that oh, I love that, this because I think it puts a different, exciting nuance than just, oh, Jesus paid for my sins. Mm. No, it's actually demanding something of me. It's actually demand, it's an awareness of me that, because we can take a time and go, Jesus paid for my sins so I can live however yeah. I want. This is actually saying, no, 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 the, the way to God's presence is open, Yeah, but it's open through death. Yeah, If you really want to experience life, Jesus has, he is the willing lamb, has given up his life, but you still need to go through this process of self-sacrificial surrender, surrender yeah. regularly. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, I give my life to you yeah. day after day after That's day. That's great. Yeah. Wow. That helped me a lot. I, I presume it's going to help a lot of people to, to understand that. That's wonderful, Ralph. Thanks. Oh, it's not me. Now give that, give that to well, the scholars. Well, whoever. Well, you've got some of that from Tim Mackey, some of that from N.T. Wright, some of that from Ben Witherington. I was talking about earlier on. I think he's big on this too, stuff too. So Yeah. Well, anyway. I want to thank you for it oh, because you. you're the one that brought it to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, j just my thoughts, my simple thoughts on Leviticus. And, you know, we talked about um, that we can look at it, you know, oh, this is boring, sacrifice, blah, blah, blah. It's got nothing to do with us. But I get excited when I read through Leviticus and I start to think how much thought the Lord has put into this and I, I see this as his because he's so intimate in the details of the way that I want you to you know you have to wash you've got to put on a linen garment you've got yep. to do this you've got to sprinkle the blood here burn the fat there all this he doesn't just leave it to chance yeah he he puts it in black and white for us mm. basically I want you guys to atone with me Yes. Is that the right word? To come back to me. To come back to me. Yeah, I want to make a way for you to come back. And I want to make it, this might seem difficult, but I see it as him making it easy for us. I'm showing you this, you know, just do this, do this, do this. And, you know, it's going to be right. I think he cares about it and loves us so much that he puts all this minute detail. And when I read it, I go, thank you, God. Thank you for the... for." explaining that, you know, he has, he has to take his garments off. So every one of these, every one of these regulations is Torah. Yeah. Every one of them is teaching us something about us and God. Yeah. Okay. So he's, that's how detailed he is. He wants to reveal himself to us in great depth through every one of them. Mm. Why are the garments linen? Why do you have to take this on and yeah. put this on? And this is a lifetime of... Study and learning this, I suppose. Yes, it? yeah, it's a, it's a life. It, it, Maybe that, not a lifetime, but well, the Jews wrote entire commentaries on all this stuff because they understood that it. The, the problem is, you can get you can become a whole lot of rules and do's and don'ts. That's how people read the law. They read it as case law, like yeah, yeah, it's a whole lot of yeses and noes. No, it's Torah. It's instruction. There's something about God and something about us and our relationship with God and how we atone. We are atoned to, but uh, you know, come back into one relationship with God that we learn through this process. Mm. And God is detailed enough to show that. Yeah, in um, these rituals, and many fantastic. of these rituals are seconded from other pagan rituals. They're very similar, and yet quite often they have a different meaning behind them. God has repurposed them for His people. Things that were just common pagan practices. He goes, "Okay, this is what you know. This is how you know it works. This principle, 
we're still going to do sacrifice, but it's going to mean something different. Mm. I'm going to repurpose it. God's in the master of, well, probably not repurposing, putting it back to its initial purpose, I suppose. Yeah. 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 Where it had been distorted by the pagans and the others. Wow. We've only done the first chapter and I'm, <laughs> my mind's blown Yeah, I already. knew that we were all going to have this with atonement, so wonderful. it's going to be very hard to stay to our chapters. But we, okay, let's assume we've, we've parked Leviticus 16. We'll go on yeah, to, let's go on to Leviticus 17. Leviticus 17. You, you mentioned, is it this one that talks, one about, that talks the, about blood? The blood. And, the and I guess we've blood. kind of covered that a bit, haven't we? Um, none of you may eat blood, uh, nor may any foreigners residing among you eat blood. And in this, he's talking, well, the title here is Eating Blood Forbidden. Mm-hmm. Why was that so important? Do you want to expand yeah. on that or do you think you've well, already Well, I think it's, it? it's probably worth asking for a different perspective because there are good godly people out there, um, Seventh-day Adventists who seek the Lord or whatever, believe they're doing the right thing, who won't eat blood. Um, there are, I've met Christians who think we should be kosher and, you know, um, and, and kosher essentially means, and, and halal is similar. I'm going to offend people by saying halal and kosher are similar. They're different in many ways, but part of that is the process of the ritual killing of the animal. And in the kosher, the Jewish sense, they drain all the blood out of the animal before yep. they eat it because of this. Yep. The so question no being, life left in the animal. Yeah, because they've taken, yes, they don't have the right to take that life for themselves. Um, and the life returns to the dust because yep. life is the devo- is God. God's God has entrusted us with life. God has given the animal life, and it's not for us to take it. And the blood should be covered over. Covered over, exactly. All of that, all of that stuff. Right? So now you get people go, well, should we be at blood today? Well, um, I, I can, I'm quite comfortable. I like a good rare steak <laughs> with blood in it. I'm quite comfortable with that, but I, but I, it's one of those ones where, well, if it was going to offend someone, I wouldn't do it right in front of them. Of course. Yeah. Because that comes back to 1 Corinthians 8, Romans 14, Colossians 2, um, not offending people. But I theologically believe that, this principle is something that is uh, don't eat blood is actually pertinent to the time and the context and the place. God is it, it matters in that context because of their understanding at the time. Yep, and I guess other cultures would have been. I know watching the Vikings. Oh, totally, they're drinking. They're the drinking blood, the blood. They're trying to get. The, they're actually trying to get the life source of that being into themselves. Yep. And and not even not just animals, human yes, sacrifice human sacrifice too, as well. It? Yeah, it's it's to them it was this understanding of they were somehow gaining the power of that extra life yeah. into them. You can see why God would say, <laughs> no, yeah. that belongs to me. Life, exactly. I give, I'm give. i the giver of life. Yeah. And so it becomes a cultural mandate for this time that doesn't necessarily transpire in the 21st century. Mm. But that's the slippery slope, Jeff, because then people go, well, what other doctrines in the Old Testament or in the Mosaic law do or don't transfer across into the... 21st century. So yeah. you have to do your honest research on that. Does yeah, that's true. do the pro, certain other prohibitions that they have? Do they are they pertinent today or not? You know, you have to wrestle. You have mm. to wrestle with those. Yeah. Why? Why accept some and not others? So yeah. tattoos. Don't get tattoos. Is that one okay? Is that not okay? You know, yeah. there's all kinds of issues that are pertinent. We can talk about LGBT issues. We can talk about all kinds of issues that are pertinent here. We have to go. Well, what transfers? What transfers and what doesn't? Mm. And and, and I think you just need to wrestle back to what we talked about in our previous podcast. Just wrestle with it. Be open to nuance and go, okay, what does happen and what doesn't happen here? What What is relevant? What is timeless and what is 
case and context specific. Mm. And I think my view is the blood one is context specific. Yeah, okay. Well, listen to this one, verse 3. Any Israelite who sacrifices an ox, a lamb or a goat in the camp or outside of it, instead of bringing it to the entrance to the tent of meeting to present it as an offering to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, that person shall be considered guilty of bloodshed. They've shed blood and must be cut off from their people. This is how, this is so the Israelites will bring to the Lord the sacrifices they are now making in the open fields. They must bring them to the priest that is to the Lord at the entrance of, to the tent of meeting and sacrifice them as fellowship offerings. Why was it so important that they sacrifice them? You know, some of these guys wouldn't have lived near the Nearby. tent of meeting. No. Well, you know. in this case, they well, kind of did because they were all in the – all these Israelites were together. At this yeah. time, they were all together. Yeah. Yeah. But why, why do you – what you know, if they don't do that, they're to be cut off from their people. That was a big deal. It's a big deal. Why is it a big deal? So the pagans – this is part of the repurposing of sacrifice. Pagans, all the nations around about, they had a, they had a different perspective – of sacrifice. They saw animal sacrifice as um, appeasing the God and even bending the God the God to their will, bending the divine being, the spiritual being to their will. <coughs> they would offer sacrifices to appease the God anywhere. And somehow the God was obligated to meet them at that point. So the purpose of their sacrifice was to obligate the God to them. You see this in Greek mythology, I think in Homer's Odyssey. Um, uh, Agamemnon sacrifices one of his children in the hope that somehow when he goes across to defeat the Trojans, he'll be able to win. And that was quite a common practice. They were these, these sacrifices, human sacrifices, animal sacrifices, that they would appease the God or bend the God to their will. God's taking a practice they understand and he's radically repurposing it. He goes, it's not now about bending the being to your will. I'm going to show you how through the practices you're familiar with, somewhat familiar with sacrifice, this is about me wanting to come close to you and how you can come close yep. to me. And so he's saying, while you're off doing those animal sacrifices out there, you're not actually doing anything like what this purpose is for. Yeah, okay. Now yeah. this is about bring it here because I want to meet with you and this is the way to meet with you. I'm not going to meet with you out there because I can't just show up in the middle of nowhere because you haven't got your heart right. In fact, the very purpose of trying to sacrifice out there is completely wrong. Bring it here and I'll show you, I'll Torah, I'll instruct you in the process. Yep. So it goes from being a a ritual, ritualistic thing to being a, a relational Good point. type yeah. thing. It's still a ritual, but for the purpose of showing and instructing yeah. on what God wants to do and how we relate to him. Mm. And now it's about we're coming to God on his terms rather than somehow out there in the in the paddocks when we sacrifice, it's like we're now bending the God to our terms, which is defining right for me, taking from the tree of knowledge. I'll, you you behave for me. I want to I want to make you do what I want rather than God saying, no, 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 I'll come close to you, but you do what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the reverse. Yeah, okay, that's great. So I think that's what it's saying there. About, yeah. That's why it's so hard because why God's so strong in this language is he's going, you keep doing that way, you're going to destroy yourself. Yeah. Because you, you've got your – I'll cut you off because you're selfish. It's gonna it's gonna end in destruction if you yeah. keep living for yourself. Gee, this is um, it's so helpful to to have have some other 
someone else have a, you know some idea of what this might kind of all be about rather than just you you know you can just read this as okay well if they do that they you know they're in trouble and whatever but you did, let's go to the next one yeah but you did a good question you asked why yeah i right. guess that's that's the question so if, you, if you're reading this and you you're yeah. on your own and you read that and go well why did god say he's going to cut them off yeah well, that's a good – just throw that in Google and start there. Mm. Just start there and go, why did that say in Leviticus 17? That will begin you on the journey. Yeah. I but, mean, that's a big deal to be – To be cut off. Thrown outside the village or yeah. whatever and you're it, That seems harsh. And, you know. So we need to go, well, what's what's the – let's start digging a little bit. Let's yeah, start yeah. mining. There's a, there's a truth under that that I'm going to have to find. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. great. Okay. I'm happy there. We're 17. Mm-hmm. Ready to move to 18. Yep. Okay, Leviticus 18. I want to just read verses 1 through 5. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. That, I love that. Declaration of who he is. Yeah, I I love the idea of following the Lord. You know, to me that is... There's hardly words to express it, is it? But we get to do that. Yeah, that's right. That we he have the. Pr- a- he's inviting us. Remember, he's inviting us into yeah. his presence again when we don't deserve to be in his presence again. And he's saying, "Okay, you've come from where you've come from. Don't go back there. Yep. I'm going to move you on, and, and don't be like them. That's right. Yeah. So, how does this?" Help us today. Well, I probably should have just let Leviticus 18, those first five verses, um, comment on everything I just said about why this sacrifice is different because he's saying don't practice it the way they practice it, the way you did in Egypt. Don't practice it the way the nations, all the Canaanites practice it there. Practice it differently. I am teaching you a different way of doing this. The way to life is different to the way that you think or it's not necessarily the same way as everyone around you does it. So how does it apply to us? Well, the world's full of people who think they know the way to truth. Yep. Pro- um, the proverb says there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to destruction. Yeah. So don't just do it because it seems to make sense or because everyone else is doing it. I'm going to show you a different way, a better way yeah. to live life, and it will require you doing some things differently. He's starting a brand new nation of people. He's setting up new decrees, this is new decrees, new laws, and the person who obeys them will live by them. I'm going to show you a new way that will bring you life. And when we do things God's way, even though it requires death to the flesh, it actually will bring us true life. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's wonderful. So take every one of these laws and realize that there's instruction yeah. behind them. There's this principle behind them that we can live by. Yep. Yeah. And so we were in Egypt before we came to Christ. Now we're in Christ, but we still have to live in 
in in Canaan. In Canaan. Yeah, in with, the world. with enemies in the world. In yes, the world. that's right. Yep. yep, exactly. That's right. But don't let them. No. It's just over and over again, isn't it? It's this. Don't don't veer off the path. Yeah. And that's I'm Israel's history. They didn't do that. They did veer off the path. Yes, they, they did. We want to have a king like all the other nations. We They ended up being taken off the path when God intended them to be so radically different that they lived among these other peoples. The other peoples would see how attractive that was and they would be drawn to that. So instead of being a light in dark places, they let the darkness extinguish the light they, that yeah, they, they had. They were drawn to what they the were drawn were doing. To the, yeah. They were drawn to the darkness, the selfishness. Yep. Yeah. But my goodness, he just he keeps reminding them over and over, over and over and again. He's patient with them. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Do you have anything else on chapter eighteen that you yeah. think's worth? Um, I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff about sexual relations. Yes. And, and okay. So and no, we won't we won't open up the whole um, sexual relations conversation. Yes, there's a lot of that too. And in this context, uh, I said this to Jeannie that the three main idols that were the problem then and still are the problem now is sex, money, and power. Yeah. They, they are always humans' biggest issues. Yeah. And so um, he's dealing with how to not misuse our sexuality so that we don't end up becoming like all the other people who misuse that. And that will have implications and how that plays out as Christians. But um, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to set up a new type of people who will live by a new – uh, have a new sexual code of conduct compared to the nations around them that um, where sex is one of their most destructive idols. Sure. And actually destroys relationships. This is the thing is misused sex, God's saying it destroys relationships. He's, he's setting these principles in place because he knows that outside of a healthy context, it's destructive rather than constructive. Mm. Actually, I'm not even sure that Leviticus 18 was in our readings for that week. <laughs> I think it might have been 17, 19, yeah. something, isn't but it? I, I just thought <laughs> I thought it needed to be touched on because it kind of it, it flows does flow into on. 19. Yeah. So I thought we'd just... Yep. That's anyway, good. That's good. Go. Good little go. segue there. I think, yeah, I thought it was 17 and 19. I went, oh, no. Yeah, yeah. 17, 19, 23, 25. That's like. right. Okay. So, so what happens in 19 and what has happened in the, the latter part of 18 is God gives the, the people a whole lot of don'ts. Yep, sure. You know, the, the don't have sexual relationships with, yep. you know, your mother or your your father or your daughter or with animals and all this sort of stuff. Then he goes into 19 and he speaks about all this stuff. Don't turn to idols. Um, don't go over your vineyard a second time, you know. Don't swear falsely. Don't defraud. Don't rob. All this sort of stuff. And so uh, when I was reading through this, I was thinking, what is God saying here? Why, 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 are there all why these does don'ts? this come here? And the and I started to think about this whole idea of uh, the idea of confessing our sins and thinking that that's washed us clean and then going straight back to. Uh, like a dog returning to its vomit or a pig returning to the mud. Exactly, the yeah. So they go to this. They, they go to this Day of Atonement celebration where, like you said, the dirt's put over yeah, everything. Yeah. Everything's fresh again. <laughs> and it God's all starts God, all over again. I've given you another chance. Yep. Don't just walk away and just live the same way you've always lived yeah. and come back next year, this yeah, time next year. Yeah. Anything could happen in between now yeah, and then. that's right. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know? it, it seems 
a bit harsh and people would look maybe look at this and go, see, God's just a God of rules. Yeah. Don't do this. Yeah. And he, how, why would I want to be a Christian when yeah. I'm not allowed to do this? I'm not allowed yeah. to do that. I'm, you know. Which is what we hear a lot of. Uh, God is obstructing or, or, or trying to spoil your fun or whatever. So if we take that macro view again, now he's set up a tabernacle, he's come to dwell with the people. Now he's saying, I'm going to, I want to make you into a new people, a new Eden people who re restart the human project mm -hmm. of making the earth look like heaven. And to do that, you're going to live differently, but you're not just going to live differently because you have to, you're actually going to discover that when you live differently, you're going to live your most fulfilled life. And so we can read all these do nots. And like you said, people reading go, oh yeah, that's spoiling my fun. But let's think about the Torah, the instruction behind it. What is it actually saying to me? And you'll start to realize it's all relational. When I, when I, when I do these things that it's telling me not to do, I'm taking from the tree and I'm defining what's good for me. And you read through that list and nearly every one of those things you do will hurt and harm someone else when yeah, you do them. For sure. And remember he's trying to take it to create a new people who will behave differently. Yeah. Who won't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he's saying, I want you to be others-centered, not self-centered. Yeah. And, I, and when I read through this, I thought, well, these are just the the attributes that we kind of value in society, mm. aren't they? You know, we, we, nature. If people don't do this stuff, we, we might call them, you know, an upright, God-fearing, wholesome, yeah. Yeah, lovely totally. person. The you know? person who does, doesn't do these things is the kind of the person you want to be around. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're attractive. And that's the point. He's saying if you do if you don't do these things, you'll be attractive. People are going to be drawn to you. Yeah. And and I, I for some reason I was thinking about funerals and I thought what would someone stand up and say if you, yeah, this guy was wonderful. He never hurt anyone. He never never had a bad thought about it. That's what a eulogy is. Speak well of. Yeah. In fact, I remember I was listening to preparing for a sermon. You might have been the sermon you're listening to for this Sunday talking about Ephesians 2 when uh, it says God, Ephesians 1, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And I remember Jeannie asking me, what does it mean? And I said, oh, what do spiritual blessings mean? I completely forgot at the time, spirit, the word spiritual blessing actually is the Greek word eulogia from which we get eulogy. Right. So it, when God has blessed us with every spiritual bling, it's actually God is speaking well of us. Yeah, okay. Just like you do. You don't show up at a eulogy and tell a, let me tell you about the guy. <laughs> he was a jerk. There's a few movies where they do that. <laughs> yeah, it's a few movies. I've been to a funeral where someone did something similar to that. As oh, right. I laugh okay. about it. Just, but, but, but generally speaking, a eulogy, you go out of your way to find something good yeah, to say yeah. about someone, even For if sure. it's not there, won't you? So, and that's, that's what a eulogy is. And that's what God is. You, you speak welling of, you, you're speaking well of people here. God, God. When a person who lives this way, others will speak well of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Anything else in there that you think it's worth? No, I think I think, I think it's pretty... just if we can, if we can reverse it from that trend of this is not a whole lot of rules spoiling our fun. This is, oh no, these are actually God saying it's not just for Him because He's some egotistical God. He's actually saying it because He wants what's best for us. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's great. Thank you. Now Leviticus chapter twenty-three. So Leviticus chapter 23 is a whole bunch of appointed festivals mm -hmm. that the Lord says, I want you to do this festival. It's, uh, so just going through it, the Sabbath, the Passover, uh, the, 
the festival of unleavened bread, the offering of the first fruits, the festival of weeks, um, festival of trumpets, day of atonement, feast of tabernacles. Yep, feast of tabernacles. This whole bunch of festivals, and and I guess we've spoken about this in previous podcasts, or we will do that. They're all kind of ways for the people to remember God, weren't they? Yes. Just like the rituals of sacrifice were teaching us something, these were actually acting out aspects of their relationship with God. Each one represents something. We're going to find that that represents aspects of Jesus. He attributes certain feasts. Each feast represents a different part of his nature or his, his interactions with humans. But they are a physical outworking of something that teaches us back. Remember, it's all still it's all still Torah. It's all still instruction. It's all still teaching yeah. us something. And certainly the Jews today would, when they had these festivals, they would tell the story of yes. what happened. Yes, To right. help the children learn. Learn the next generation. So they're yeah. teaching the children the Torah. So yes. They know Great then thought. how to. That's how they pass it on. Yeah. They use ritual to pass it on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I wish we did that a little bit more I do too. in our in our um, I, I religious think it's life. Deeply, if you like. I think it's deeply lost um, in many Pentecostal evangelical circles because we have pushed back against the depth of ritual at the absence of power that's in some of the more traditional Orthodox methods, and because of that, we've overemphasized it and we've lost the power of ritual. If we just take a step back and we go, well, what do we believe about this stuff? Is there actually something for, these guys were doing lots of ritualistic stuff here. They were having certain feasts at certain times and church calendars are full of that. I've been taught to go right away from that. I think we just need to re- yeah. revisit a little bit and realize maybe there's some things we can learn in this. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking in, in my own life with my, as my kids grew up, if, if we had appointed seven or eight days throughout the year where I mm. sat down with my kids and said, this is why we believe yep. this. This is why, this is what Jesus did yep. in the desert. This is why we believe this and that. Yeah, which we don't really do. do we don't we? really do. No, and, and there's a sense in which that's got. It's a teaching. It's a highlight moment for those kids. They look forward to it. One of the things with my kids is like they still reflect back on it now. Um, one of the saddest days for them was when presence conference finished. Yeah, me too. Um, and I mean, I mean, it was all, you know, I realized it's very expensive for, for Oxford Falls to cover it and bankroll and all that. But my kids have got so many memories of being together in the city all those years. Yeah, it was it was formative in them. It was hugely resetting. It was had all those spiritual connotations to it because it was very, it was like a festival. Yeah, it was yeah. like this thing they did every yeah. year that they looked forward to. Oh, I did, did as too. a family. Yeah, that's we, right. We, we were only talking about it a few weeks ago, yeah. saying that. We want to, well, maybe we're going to, a bunch of us are going to go back and rent a rent an apartment, rent an apartment and hang and out of the city again. Yeah. Even if we're not going to the presence, at least we're. You've got, you're recapturing something. Yeah. Yeah, that's know? right. That's maybe, great. Yeah. Yeah, I oh, know. Back in those days, I remember C3 through all used to have hundreds of people going to presence. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, people from all over the community that weren't even part of the church come to presence. It was fabulous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was really oh, wonderful. Yeah. Okay, verse 26 uh, and 27. The Lord said to Moses, that's verse 26. The Lord said to Moses. That's it, is, it is too, isn't it? It's a short verse. If you want to memorize scripture. The, I, I know Leviticus 23, 26. The Lord said to Moses. Yeah. Okay. The 10th day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. So this is happening once a year. Yep. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Uh, do not do not work on that day. 
Do not do any day because it is the day of atonement when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. Those who do not deny themselves on that day must be cut off from their people. So this, uh, have I read enough there? Uh, it's more yeah, I, I will destroy <laughs> from among their people anyone who does any work well, on that harsh day. Language, isn't it? You shall not do any work at all. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come, wherever you live. Okay, that's what I wanted to read. This Day of Atonement, more so than any of these other festivals, was like, if you don't do this, this is big trouble. Right. Okay. So in the other tabernacles, there isn't this sense of, of if you don't punishment do it, if you don't do it. You're gotcha. cut off. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I haven't well, noticed that before, but yeah. Not, that I, not that I read anyway yeah. when I was reading through it. No, no, you're right. I'm just glancing over it now. I, I think you might be right there. Yep. So it was almost like this is the big one. Yep. Isn't sure. it? This is the This is the main culmination of... And we maybe don't think of that, do we? I mean, we think about Passover and... And no, we wouldn't think of Yom Kippur as the big one, yeah. but it was to the Jews. Yeah. And like I say, it still is today. Yeah, very few secular Jews will go and do stuff, but even a lot of secular Jews won't do anything. All the shops are closed and everything else on Yom Kippur. Yeah. Um, but so we don't even teach about the what, what we've been talking about no. today, really. No, but, no, I we mean, don't. we are going to. We are going to. I mean, yeah. all of these, we don't spend a lot of time talking about any of these feasts, Jeff. Um they're, these feasts are all deeply and richly symbolic of Jesus, and He fulfills them. Yeah. Um, now we have other feasts in the calendar, church calendar, and yeah. Orthodox and traditional churches will have certain other feasts, and we obviously have Christmas and Easter in all all aspects of it. Christmas and Easter aren't necessarily um, they they yeah. that would be the closest thing we would have to feasts, if you like, or festivals in the Christian church calendar, and we dismiss all these other ones, but they all have they all have meaning, including the Day of Atonement. They all instruct us in something. Well, we will be talking about it, won't we? This week. Yes, yes, that's right. It should be this week. Should if we're, be this if week. you're listening to the podcast <laughs> the week before we're about to preach on atonement. I guess. Yes, that's right. You should be we'll be hearing about atonement. Yeah. yeah that's I, right. I, I don't know who's preaching on it, but hope hopefully. I've got a feeling I worked on it yesterday. I've got a feeling I might be. I was okay. yesterday preparing the that's rosters great. for that. I think I might be. I look forward to to getting a bit more revelation about that. Um Okay, so so that's uh, twenty three, I think, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, let me just add in. Um, let me just add in quickly. These different feasts are broken into three main times of year. Mm-hmm. Um, very simple. You can just Google this. You get one in the spring, one um, feast of um, the, the feast of Pentecost. Five days after, sorry, five, seven weeks after the feast of Passover. It's close, but it's a different time Which of year. Is like the festival of weeks. The festival right? of weeks. Yep, yep, it's called the festival of weeks or Pentecost. Um, or Shavuot. No, that's later. Shavuot is a different one. And then the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the Feast of Shavuot. And that comes at a different time of year. So all in the space of about six months or so, six or seven months of the year. But um, you can actually overlay each of those three feasts with different aspects of church ministry. So the Feast of Passover and the beginning of the year has to do with Jesus um, Jesus uh, coming and dying. His first mm-hmm. coming, if you like. The Feast of Pentecost or Feast of Weeks um, has to do with the church. And that's why we recently have had the Feast of Pen- we've had the Pentecost Sunday and the birth of the church. It's to do with the Gentiles. And 
for the sake of time, I won't go into it. But the last feast, the feast of uh, the feast of Shavuot, the feast of um, of Tabernacles, actually has to do with Jesus' second coming. So there are aspects of that feast that are fulfilled in the return of Christ. Yeah, okay. So you've got right. the first coming, the Gentile time that we live in now, and the return of Christ that's yet to come in the future. Right. And they're linked to the feasts. There's an interesting podcast. Little study for, for future, you to do. Future reference. Awesome study, yeah. It is a study, yep. Okay, we're going to jump over 24 to 25. Leviticus 25. The Sabbath year. The Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee. Mm. Two great principles that the Jews were to practice. History tells us that they didn't do any of them. <laughs> Either of them. Well, yeah, uh, I guess greed might have got in the way. The greed got in the way and lack of trust in God. This is about trusting God's ability to care for us more than ourselves. Yep. But in uh, more current times with uh, agricultural science, this sort of stuff has a – it's a pretty good idea, isn't it? To let the, land let the land fallow. Recover and, yep. you know. Yep, absolutely yeah. it is. Deeply needs. Little did they know that then. Oh, yeah. It wasn't even sure. – I mean, God was obviously wanting to care for the land, but it was about them. Did they trust him? That's the whole concept of Shabbat, of Sabbath, where, whether it's a Sabbath year or a Sabbath day, it's ultimately – do you trust that I'm providing for you or do you think you need to define and take for yourself? Mm. And so the, the the year of Jubilee, well, the Sabbath year was what, every seventh every year? Every seventh correct? year, yep. And then the year of Jubilee was seven times seven years. Yep. So yep. It was 49. 50, yep, it was the 50th year following the yep. seven times seven years. Yep. Okay. And this takes place or there's a restart at the Day of Atonement. Yep. An correct? annual reset, yes, yeah. if you like. That's yep. right. Where things were just... The, the the whole things were given back and and oh sorry de- de- that's that's the jubilee you're talking about the year of uh, jubilee. year of jubilee year, year yeah. of jubilee oh it takes you're saying the reset it takes place on the day of atonement yes on the year of jubilee I believe it? so yes okay yep. yeah I hadn't thought about that but that that would um, make sense yep I think that's what I read there. okay yeah that I would guess. make sense yep here it is. Have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh ah, month yeah, okay. on the so day of atonement. The day of atonement on the year of the jubilee on the fiftieth year, yeah. on that special day, the day of atonement. Great, I've never noticed that. But Consecrate that's... the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty. Yes, throughout the land. Yes, liberty. So debts are forgiven yes. and and all sorts of stuff. In this there, is a isn't radically it? different biblical, uh, r- radically different economy to anything that's ever oh, operated anywhere in the world. Is it ever? Yeah, uh, it's never actually. It's it never worked for the Jews. They never did it. Well, I can kind of understand why they didn't. It, you kind of think, been working for 50 years. To, I'm not just <laughs> going to give it back to this it. bloke. But can you see that if you had to set up your economy differently from the beginning, oh, it wouldn't be an issue? Sure. So it was saying, like, if you're going to buy a piece of land, you buy that land, not forever. You buy that land. The closest thing we have to this is in, I don't know if it's still the case, but in Canberra when they used to say you'd never own the land in Canberra. It's a 99-year lease, they yeah, used to yeah. say. So um, – you know, I'm going to buy the land. I've got 10 years left on this land. Therefore, the price of that land is going to be worth 10 years of harvest. Because it actually says, because you're actually not buying the land, you're actually buying a certain number of harvests off that land. So it's a different kind of economy, but we never set up our economy that way because human nature is selfish. Human nature is to take, I see, and I take. You'd be amazed how often that language repeats itself throughout scripture. It, It says, Eve saw that it was good for herself, for knowledge, so she took. 
Cain saw and took. Yeah. It goes all the way through the book of Genesis. See and take, see and take. They see the land, they take the land. Mm. And it never worked because humans never trusted God enough with it. Yeah. It's a shame, isn't it? Because it's tragic. I, think. This, this, I guess this harkens to what we do when we come to Christ, isn't it? You know, we, we, we start again. It's yep. a fresh it's start. It's a fresh start. It's a new life. Born again. Yep. It's actually new not life. just this covering over. It's this complete remission of sins. It's yeah. not just a, a, a cover. It's a remission. You're, you are now a clean, completely clean slate. It's yeah. as if you've never sinned. You're justified in Christ. It should be like that. And that's the principles that are trying to be played out in this Jubilee year. Mm. It's upside down kingdom. It's not selfish. It's selfless. Yep. And so these people would have, uh, I've written here in my notes, not just a... Uh, on the Day of Atonement, they don't just get a fresh start from sin, but they get a fresh start for life. Yes. All over again. Yep. You know? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's right. It's, it's more than just a, a, um, a one-off. It's now you get your land back. It's a complete reset on your bank balance. Yeah. Everything. You're getting another go. Yep. You can see why it, it could work, but it never did. It, it never worked. I, I don't know exactly the stats. I had them years ago, um, so I won't quote exact stats, but but – Something in the vicinity of eighty percent of the the world's wealth is con, is owned by a very small number of people. Yeah. Like two percent of people own eighty percent of the wealth. It's it's extravagant, right? Yeah. And so, so sociologists have shown us that if we were to do a day of atonement, if we were to on once every fifty years, we were to take all the world's wealth and equally distribute it among every human being, it wouldn't take anywhere near fifty years before it was all back in the hands of the same people again. Yeah, okay. Because well. It's a mixture of selfishness, sin, sinfulness, laziness. Uh, you know, smart people will take for themselves. All it's just not. It's it's earthly principles rather than kingdom principles. It's like six or seven years or something, and it'd be back in the same hands. Yeah. It's hard to fathom to me, but it makes sense knowing what I know of human nature. Yeah, knowing what I know of my own nature, I tend to spend and not save. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. all those things. So um, yeah, because I don't abide well by the way it should work here. So God is trying to show, instruct Torah us in a different way of life. Yeah. Well, he's even, you know, maybe this, the people didn't take this up, but this shows us God's character, doesn't it? Yeah. That he's great prepared. Thought. He's prepared to give you everything back. Oh, wow. That's great. You know, isn't that wonderful? That's actually, I've never thought about the day of atonement. In I only just thought of the, it. Sorry. Then. Yeah. The Jubilee yeah. year. It's actually God is prepared to, Entrust us back that's with it again, knowing us, that we'll it? all probably blow it again. But he's still, oh wow, that's great! Yeah, have the Garden of Eden back again. Yeah, that's you know, right. Eventually. Like, I'm going to come and plunk myself in the middle of the sanctuary in the middle and say, "Yeah, have another go." Yeah, I know you blew it in the original Eden, but wow. I'll give you another Eden. Wow, I should have kept that to myself and wrote a book. You should have written a book on that one. You, <laughs> you could have made a fortune and then taken money off the poor and kept it for yourself. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> that's a great thought. I'm happy to end Leviticus there. If okay. you're happy, yep. Sure. That's it. 25, isn't it? I've got my glasses yeah. on. Yep. That's it. Yeah. I think that, that, that chapter pretty well is just all about that. Yes, uh, it is. That, you know, looking after people. Yeah. Even when they maybe don't deserve it. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So one other thing is that um, that Sabbath rest thing um, that they did every seven years, they were supposed to take yep. a Sabbath rest. They, um, w that is directly linked in Jeremiah to why they had 70 years in exile. Jeremiah says, I'm going to put you in exile for 70 years because for the last 490 years, you haven't given the land its Sabbath rest. There are actually okay. 70 years 
that the land needs to have rest that you haven't given it, seven lots of seven, seven right. lots of seven. So he did it all in one so chunk. So he did it in one chunk. Wow. Jeremiah says that's exactly the How reason. About that? Yep. wonder if that still happens. Don't know. What do you mean? Tell me more. Well, you know, we, we see um, nations rise up and then nations and then fall. fall. Yeah, empires land come, empires becomes, go in the land. You know, think of yep. the Aztecs. Yeah. The land, the vines grow back over the temples and yep. the land just... Yep. Well, I just, while I was away on holidays, after listening to Steve Morris recommended uh, that I read a book by, um, book on the Constantine, on the, sorry, on the, on the Byzantine Empire. Fascinating to see that Turkey today, you know, one of the greatest empires of the yeah. world and it's, you know, it's pretty run down in many ways. And it's that same thing. Well, I think, I wonder if it still happens. I reckon it might, you know, because empires come, empires go. And if we look at God, he's the one who causes things to rise and fall. So whether he causes it or whether or not it's a bit like what happened to Israel is ultimately enough selfish living, enough usury of other people, enough mistreatment of the poor will eventually cause destruction to come. And God will go, okay, thy will be done or thy will be done. I'm going to leave you to yourself. And in the end, keep keep defining what's right for you. In the end, it's going to bring destruction. Whether or not it's God destroying or we destroy ourselves because we don't do it God's way, it could be a bit of both. But I reckon that's an interesting thing. Most empires rise and fall every couple of hundred years. Throughout history, mm. it's rare that many empires live more than a couple of hundred years. What is wrong with us? We don't do it God's way, Jeff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that was a little addendum on <laughs> Leviticus 25. Now, <laughs> let's go to the New well, Testament. Let's go. Okay. going to take a look now into the New Testament. We're going to start off in 1 John chapter 2. I always have trouble finding 1 John because it's <laughs> right at the end. It's hard to flick through the pages. It's kind of hidden in here, isn't it? Oh, come on. I should have put a bookmark in. There we go. There's 3 John. You're getting close if you've got 3 John. Yes, look at that, the page. Oh. <laughs> Still stuck together, Jeff. Jeff's got a new Bible for those that aren't watching and uh, or relatively new Bible. He keeps telling me it's not a new Bible, but all his pages are still stuck together. I don't know when I bought Did I write? I'm not sure. Well, the pages are still – you know what I used to do no. when I used to have paper Bibles, Jeff? I'd literally go through and individually unwrap every page one by one by oh. one <laughs> so that I wouldn't have that problem. Oh, that's pretty good because this is this, – I don't know. <laughs> Probably 1,000-something pages. Yeah, there's yeah, 2,000 pages plus in that. Well, John's on – 1,931. Yes, that's 2,000 pages. My goodness. Okay, it's a long time since I've used a paper Bible, though. So sorry, people out there who think I should be. I use my iPad. Yeah, sometimes I just like to get the paper one out. Oh, yeah, lots of people do. First yep. John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The atoning sacrifice. I guess that's where we get our modern day thoughts from that 
it was just the sacrifice is, is the atonement, isn't it, mm. rather than that whole thing that we talked about. Rather than an enlarged day of atonement issue. Yeah. 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 And don't get me wrong, some of those five, five other types of sacrifice, I, said, I think I said three of those were atonement related. They were this sense of some kind of bringing back together, reconciliation taking yeah. place, yeah. It's more that we don't we automatically assume we know what it means, and hopefully I've just shown today that there's more nuance to the meaning of the seven different versions there of what atonement might mean. Um, so when John says here, here's our atoning sacrifice, he, he's he's loading up in his mind. He's a Jewish boy. He's loading up loading up all his understanding from Leviticus sixteen seventeen, all that stuff we just read. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And this is I, I, this is probably not the first time, but this is certainly uh, an instance where. We're, we're seeing uh, the Lord Jesus presented as yes. the atonement for our sin rather yeah. than the scapegoat. Yes, yes. And we will have the seen, literal scapegoat. Rather than, that's right, exactly. That this is, and was Hebrews, which we'll do in a minute, um, immediately before this unpacks this whole concept in much more depth. John's yes. just making a statement here. Right. So let, let's have a look at verses three through six. It says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So how does that fit with this mentality of we're not saved by works? This is tricky, isn't it? I, I was going to ask you the same question, mate. <laughs> I think it. We kind of need to read this in. Um, what's the right word? In the. With the proper sort of tense of what we're looking at, so we're not, or the proper order, if you like. We're not saying that to prove that you love God you'll keep his commands. We're saying as a consequence of loving God, we naturally keep his commands. As a consequence. So so our works, our behaviour are supposed to be a byproduct that comes from our salvation, comes from God accepting us, Jesus being our atonement, yep. etc. So you you got it in a nutshell. Now, what happened historically is the Catholic Church had taught that it was there were other things you had to do. You had yeah. to pay enough money. You had to do all these different things, and then you would be atoned for. And along comes Martin Luther and says, "No, that's not how it is. We're saved by grace. The just shall live by faith." And so your works don't save you. And he's absolutely right. But we have now, without realizing it, we have. Coupled with self-centered Western Christianity, we have come to think, well, I'm saved by grace, I've got my ticket to heaven, and fail to recognize that, no, there is actually stuff expected of us. And it's yeah. it's atonement language. We just talked about it. Is that, yeah, Jesus is our atonement. That lamb has been offered in my place, but that doesn't mean I can just flippantly now walk into the presence of God. I've been taken through in that blood that has been offered on that on that altar, in that mercy seat. I am now there. But I should be thinking about what it costs me to get there. Mm. It cost a, an animal to be willing to willingly give up its life for me. It cost 
the son of God to willingly give up his life for me. And that amount of love, you used the word love and you said it was missing from those conversations. That love alone should compel me to want to live differently. Yeah, I should be so motivated by the fact that he loves me so much that I would want to live right. And so that, that should now, that does demand something of me. It mm. does demand a life. What, how's he put it there? That this is, he said, cry, what does he say about Which the way? Part? I don't know. Something you read there said something about this is how we know, is it? Um, oh, this is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live, live, as, as, live Jesus as Jesus did. did. Well, that's yeah. a pretty high command there. It's well, a pretty high issue. It certainly is. Yeah. But the point is not that we, we're not that we are the living like Jesus earns us something, but that what Jesus has done empowers us and now we're expected to live like he did. Yeah. Um, James puts it similar. He says, and a lot of Christians think, oh, James seems to be arguing with Paul because Paul says we say by grace through faith. James says, show me your faith um, without works. And it's, he says faith without works is dead. Yeah. And you said it's the order. Yeah. But uh, if Paul actually says this in Ephesians 2. He says we, it's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of our own. God, God saved us. But God now has appointed us to do good works, which he's prepared in advance. So they're not really arguing with each other. No. Paul is saying, now you're saved, you better get on and live like a saved person. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's, that, it's kind of what we talked about in Leviticus, isn't it? Mm. You're saved, don't go back to... Don't go keep going back again. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's not just don'ts, now there's do's. Yes. Well. Yes. And the problem is we have, we've, we've repelled so much against the whole concept of you can earn your salvation that we've gone so far the other way that we've basically left people, Christians thinking that there's their behavior doesn't matter at all. And it doesn't matter where it really does matter. God, if you really want to have faith, you'll demonstrate it in the way you live. Yeah. And, and, you know, we can look at that verse six, whoever claims to live in him must live as Christ didn't think, man, there's no way I could ever do that, but we can do that. Yes. Simply by, acknowledging Christ and, and, you know, speaking with him during the day and just allowing him and his Holy Spirit to just change us. Yep. We're, yep. You know, we're, of course we're not perfect like Christ was, but yep. well, I think we can beat ourselves up and say, oh, you know, I'm not, I don't understand how I could ever do this. But yeah. We are doing it. We are. We are. Yeah. We're not, I've said this before, we're not where we want to be, but we're not where we were. Yeah. We sure. are becoming more of Jesus and less of us over yeah. time. Yep. Yep. That's good. That's one John, hey? Yeah, that's one John. We're going to now jump into the book of Hebrews. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2 is where we're going to begin today. I read through Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, or I guess it's a letter, it's a letter it, to yep, the Hebrews. It's a letter to Christians, yep. We don't actually know who wrote this No, nope, we don't letter. know for sure. Some we people think it was the Paul, author. but the author said, that, yep, some people think it was Paul. I don't tend to think it was Paul, but... It seems a little different. Yeah, it does seem it. different to his other writings. Yeah. It's someone who probably knew Paul because he references um, he references some similar, Barnabas, or one of, he references someone who's similar anyway. So I read through it. And the first thing I wrote was, what? And wow. <laughs> this, oh, my goodness. I know that was, Peter said that 
or was it Paul said some of Peter's writing was hard to understand? Yes, Peter said, uh, Peter said Paul's writing is hard to understand. It, oh, Hebrew, Hebrews is. I reckon he would have said this. Whoever for wrote sure. this is yeah. hard to understand. I think it might it? be one of the arguments is why people think it's Paul actually, because it's it, even though the language style seems different, it's very deeply enriched by Jewish thinking. Yeah, you, you can't you can't really understand this if you don't understand J- Jewish practices like the stuff we've just read in Leviticus. Yeah, okay, let's read verse 2 and 3. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So... It's a bit of a warning, this one, isn't it? You think? Well, it says warning here. It, in my, it's a warning. It says it's a warning. In my Bible, yeah. In fact, I think you have to be thinking about, you have to be uploading some of that stuff you just said, some of that stuff about being cut off and all the serious warnings of the Old Testament yep. the, in, the, in that Torah that we just read, the seriousness of disobedience. Yeah. I think he's wanting you to load that up in your mind and go, well, you know what? That was pretty bad. Every violation of disobedience was going to be punished. This this is against a flippant approach to salvation. It's going, well, if they if they were under the threat of punishment because they disobeyed certain practices like sacrificing an animal out in the wild or whatever it might be, how are you going to think you're going to get away with just taking this flippant approach to salvation? Mm. Yeah, so I probably should have read verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. Mm. So paying careful attention here is is he's, he's he's urging these Jewish followers to dwell on Torah and put Christ in Torah. Mm. So think about what is it teaching us about Jesus, dwell so you don't drift away. So yeah, okay. So obviously this, well, I presume this book was written to the Hebrews, to the Jewish. Yeah, it was written to people. Jewish believers. Yeah, yeah, seems like it, unless it was written by Hebrews. <laughs> no, well, it probably was. <laughs> I, I think I think it, I think the scholars will say it was written to Jewish believers. Yeah, it's deeply wretched with Jewish understanding that you wouldn't expect early Gentiles yeah. to necessarily get the way he's put it in here. So pay attention, don't drift away. Mm. This is so important for us today too. I reckon. Yep, we need to pay attention. Pay attention to what you hear in church. Pay attention to what you read in the yep. Bible. Pay attention to. What people share with you in conversation that yeah. can grow. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. Yep. Pay attention to what you might, you know, if you watch a, a preacher on TV or whatever, in saying that, pay attention to who you're listening to as well. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't just, ex- back to our conversations previously, don't just accept everything but um, study it like the Bereans. Study the scripture to see if what Paul said was true. Pay attention. Don't just accept it, but don't be cynical either. There's a way to be be genuinely interested in trying to prove something right, not prove something wrong. Right. And so if we don't, if we ignore salvation, mm. we go back to being judged on our actions, correct? I think that is an interesting um, explanation of what he could be saying here. Yes. Mm. If you, yes, if you aren't going to accept uh, the atonement of Christ. Yep. Then you're the one who's trying to get into that temple on your own. You better be pretty and good, boy. You better be cut down. 
Yeah. If you don't accept this, this, that another has died in your path, then you won't just go through a figurative death. You'll actually go through a literal death. Yes. Right. So you're going to be judged by your actions unless you've got someone to make atonement for you. Yes. Now, don't get me wrong. We're all going to be judged by our actions. Yep. It's a different kind of judgment. Sure. Uh, okay. Jesus makes that very clear. He says everything you say will be proclaimed from the house. You know, every, everything will be put out there. You'll be judged for every careless word you've said. It's not that we won't be judged. It's a difference. It's the nature of the judgment. And Paul, uh, it, it, one will lead to condemnation, separation from God, and one will lead to um, well, whether or not you, your actions will be wood, hay, and straw, or refined by silver and refined by the fire. So whether or not things that we do will actually last into eternity or be burned up. That's the way out. You and If we're Christians, our actions will be judged that way. Some of it's going to be fruitless. Hopefully, by God's grace, as we live this way, it will last into eternity. It will have lasting consequences. Yeah. But if we're outside of Christ, good or bad, um, there's th ultimate death. There's ultimate death. Yep. Yes, that's right. So that's a bit scary. But then let's come back again to verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who was, we talked about this before, who was made a lower than the angels for a little while. So he became human. He's now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So he went through that atone, atoning sacrifice yep. so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Oh, there's that atonement language right there. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, so we are now, in, we are in Christ, Paul says. So we are now, when Jesus dies, we are dying with him on that cross. And he has tasted death on our behalf. Mm. He didn't need to. It wasn't fair, basically. It wasn't fair that Jesus died. He didn't need to, but he willingly did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we, we, we're starting to see these last couple of chapters that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice yes. for us. Yeah, amen. Okay. Verse 14 through to 18. Pay careful attention to this, Ron. Okay. Because I'm going to ask you to put this into your own words because okay. I think it's a bit tricky. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free, up, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely... It is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. It's kind of it might be better to read that in little chunks rather than a whole thing but it, it almost sums up the gospel here do you think tell me how uh, well sums up the gospel what do you mean of what jesus of the process of what jesus has yeah, done yeah i don't know anyway put it in your own words that's what i've got written here put it in Is your that own too words. much can no, you make well, it into simple language or do you want to look at the no, well, as International I, as Children's Bible or something? <laughs> <laughs> International Children's Well, as you're reading it, I was actually arcing back to one of those theories of, of yeah. atonement. 
Okay. Um, the one that we weren't sure about, uh, where it talked about how um, Christ's death um, satisfied the devil. Yeah. The devil's right yes, over us. Yes, that's what I was thinking too. When I was yes. Thinking. Yep. I'm just trying to find which one that was. Because um, that's what it seems to be saying there, that through his death, um, he has, the devil had a legal right. He holds the power of death. It says Satan holds the power of death. Yeah. Um, and Jesus becoming human has arrested that power of death back from him because death had no hold on him. Even though Jesus, all humans um, were under the power of death that Satan owned because Jesus was sinless and representing us as a human, he has actually arrested that power back and said, no, no, I'm a new, I'm a new type of human. I am a new type of human and you don't have any power over me. You tried. You tried to tempt me in the desert. You tried to kill me on the cross, mm. but death couldn't hold me down because I'm sinless. I'm arresting that power back from you. So I think that's probably where this kind of atonement comes from. So I'm reading that in there. So I think mm. they're, I'm reading that into those first few verses. It wasn't really angels. It was it was actually human beings. It was those who were Abraham's descendants. Yep. If he was going to be able to be a atoning for us, he had to become like us. Yep. He had to become one of us, and he had to restart the human project again. He he he's the he's the last Adam. All of this analogy is all coming together. Paul, this is not Paul. This is Paul saying this, is not Hebrews. But Jesus, people say, oh, Jesus is the second Adam. No, Paul doesn't. Never says Jesus is the second Adam. But Paul says Jesus is the last Adam. It's a it's a first Adam. And there's a last Adam. Mm. You don't need another Adam anymore because Jesus is the last one. He he actually resets the project. And even though Adam failed, Jesus didn't, and Jesus won't fail. So now in Christ, all of us are atoned for, and all of us are able to have this relationship with God. So do you think when the language used here, the devil, is this talking about a being or the act of sin? I think it's personal. You think you think he was the guy in charge of death? Why would why why would was he the boss of the bad guys? Was the devil the boss of the bad guys? Yeah, I don't uh, know. I think if you if you let's load up what we know what we know of Jewish biblical stories about the devil. There's not many. Yep. So we find the serpent in the garden. We reference him a few times. The serpent's referenced as evil, and we see Satan, the accuser, in Job. That's probably about it until you get to the Second Temple literature, and suddenly there's demons all over the place being cast out everywhere. Right. So it's a progressive revelation. But let's. So I reckon you've got to be thinking atonement here. You've got to be thinking serpent in the garden. And serpent tempting Adam and Eve, and also Satan tempting Jesus, which is an exact riff off of what he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. Same, same temptations exactly when he tempted Jesus. So, I think it is a per I think it is a personal being. We believe in the devil as a personal being. I know there are some liberal Christians who think it's just figurative. Uh, I don't think it's figurative. I think it's a personal being that ha does influence and. And um, incite human certain human behaviors, and when Adam and Eve surrendered, when they gave up and took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they surrendered over to that serpent their authority. Mm -hmm. So, the, this Adam and Eve were given authority over the birds and the beasts and the things of this earth, 
and the serpent comes along and he deceives Eve and Adam willingly takes and they eat. And now that authority that was given to them is handed over to the devil. The serpent now has a degree of authority over the earth. Mm -hmm. Either that or what do you make of when Jesus is tempted by the devil and he says, I'm going to take you up to the mountain and show you all the kingdoms of the earth. And he says, I can give all this to you because it's all been given to me and I have authority. I can give it to whoever I want to. Is he lying or is he telling the truth? It's good. Hmm. I suspect he's not lying. I don't think Jesus would have fallen for that. I suspect he's telling the truth. He's saying, hey, you know, that first Adam, he surrendered it over to me. I'm the one with the authority now. Mm. I can give it to you if you want to. I'll actually short circuit the process. You you want to have the people come back to you? All you have to do is bow down and worship me and I'll give it to you. I think he's actually telling the truth. And that's what that's what the writer to Hebrews seems to be saying. He, he does hold the power. He does hold the authority. But Jesus, by passing that test, he arrested that authority back and said, I'll, yeah. take, the, I'll take that back. I'll take the keys of death and hell back. Thank you. Sure. Okay. Just on a sidebar here, mm-hmm. because I'm... I've been looking a little bit at the Garden of Eden because I'm preaching on on Eden Eden this coming week. Yeah, not as you listen to this this coming week. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> the you mentioned it just then the the serpent in the garden or Satan in the garden. I was just wondering, did Satan actually come into the garden? Because the garden was free of sin. Mm-hmm. Until Eve took from the tree, I was. Have we got this idea of um, the Garden of Eden being this giant thing, or you know, it says there was a God put a garden in Eden. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was like a one-acre garden mm-hmm. with walls around it. Eve was at, went for a wander out into the world, and that's where the the devil spoke to her. There's nothing there to say that that's what happened. Yeah, I don't know. But I, thought, I just I mean, thought maybe I'm how can the, how, shaped by Michelangelo's famous painting of the serpent wound yeah. around a tree. You um, see, we're all we're shaped by that, aren't we? This uh, is what yeah. I was talking to the boys at. Yeah, Connecticut. I would also say we're shaped by this whole concept of sin can't exist in God's presence, though. Yeah, that, because we've just talked. God about God walked how, in the garden. Yeah, yeah, but we've just talked about the fact that God planted Himself right down in the middle of a sinful people. We've just talked about how God God came and he did, yeah. tabernacled. Jesus came and tabernacled right in the middle of evil people. So all right. So I wonder if we wonder the if idea of the in the garden there was no sin. Is that I wonder. The Bible doesn't actually say that, but we think that, don't we? We think that. I'd be more inclined to go down that path. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? I'd be more inclined to think that um, that we we're imposing things on the scriptures that aren't there. Mm. I really do think that we overemphasize this thought that um, God can't dwell in the same place as sin. And it has yeah. all kinds of implications for yes. us that we haven't really thought through. Yeah. So it leads us to think, well, if Jesus became sin on the cross, God the Father abandoned him on the cross or something like that. It leads yeah. to those kind of yeah. beliefs. Um, it belie- it, 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 the problem is... It seems to me God is constantly trying to come close to us. Yeah. He's not aloof. He's try- there are yes, there are consequences and there are ways back in, and it's going to require death to self and all that sort of stuff. But but God is constantly coming. Well, God came and spoke with Moses and Abraham. Yes, He did. They weren't. And Satan showed up in Job, in Job chapter one, right in the middle of right the throne of God. 
That's right. Where have you been, mate? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So maybe we shouldn't read too much into that. It's just interesting. Well, it's probably, it's nothing to, like I said to the boys the other night, it's yep. not, we don't live and die on these no. things. We can even make a bit of a joke about yeah. it sometimes. Yeah. But, but it's, I just find it interesting how our thoughts and our, our ideas are shaped by our culture. Yep. Even by, like you say, a painting or a picture on the front of a Christmas card or yep. something. That's what it was like. Yep. And we know? automatically do that. Yeah. 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 Well, you mentioned the garden and the walls around the garden. So that's interesting because I'm, I'm loving the Bible Project's current po- podcast series on the city and the nature of cities and what they are. And, yeah. and the God intended, originally it appears God doesn't intend it to be a city. Yeah, okay. Um, it's, it's a garden. God's, God's paradise is a garden, yeah, not yeah. a city. And cities throughout time have tried to capture gardens within them. But why did cities appear in the first place? Cities appear in the first place because as people grow and spread out on the earth, they are afraid of being on their own, so they gather together. What is, for, what is an ancient city known by? How do you demark an ancient city? You just said oh, it's the walls. It's yeah. the walls around the city. Yeah. So what are the walls for? To keep the bad guys out. To keep the bad guys out. To defense. Yeah. (laughs) So in in an ideal world, you don't need walls around a city because there's no badness in the world. So, yeah, it's just fascinating to think about. I mean, this could be a whole other podcast as well. well, Yeah. Well, they talk about how in the ultimate city in Jerusalem, there's still walls around the city, but all the gates are open. Yeah. Because God's intention is you you don't need defense anymore. I'm your your defender. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we get these like you're talking Garden of Eden language there, nothing wrong with researching and thinking it through, but just be aware of how much we load up our own preconceptions about yes. thinking about them. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Good. I like it's, that. It, I think, yeah, it shows us that it's important to actually think about what we're reading. Yes, great. Don't just go, oh, yeah, I know that story because yep. I heard that in Sunday school or yeah. I saw it on you know, the greatest story ever told or whatever. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sure. I read it in a post on social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just... I don't know. I love this sort of stuff. I'm amazed how many posts people post on social media and then just like them. And I thought, have you actually thought about what that said? Have you actually asked a few questions of that before you liked it? I'm pretty careful of that. (laughs) I was was explaining this to my um, granddaughter the other day. I said, do you know why we say amen at the end of something, you know? Um, You know, that we agree with it and, you know, we give the glory to God and whatever. But if you don't agree with it, you don't have to say amen. amen. Just keep your mouth quiet. Yeah. Right, it's good. Good way to instruct them. Mm. Um, All right, that was Hebrews 2. Anything else in there? That's it. All right. Thank you. Let's move to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. When I read through this, I kind of read it that to sum it up in one, two, three, four words, Jesus greater than Moses. <laughs> that's the title in the NIV. Oh, it is too. <laughs> is that, Maybe that's why I wrote is it. Is that where you got it from? Jesus greater than Moses. Maybe there that is. I did. I've switched to the NIV so I can track along with you now. Maybe I did read it there. Yeah, there you go. But Well, as I was reading it, I was thinking that too. But, I mean, not, not that Jesus is... Well, Jesus is greater than Moses, yep. but that the the new covenant, the new covenant is better than the, better old, than covenant. the old covenant. Everything yes. about what Jesus represents is, is is the fulfillment and better than and the fulfillment of the new covenant, yeah. the old covenant. Yep. Right. Verse one through three. Mm-hmm. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the 
Heavenly Calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our Apostle and High Priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honour than the house itself. That's it. I think we're pretty well. So he's comparing what Jesus has done, yep, um, who Jesus is, with what Moses has represented of God. Is yeah. that what you mean? Yes. Yeah. I think so. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? I don't know that it needs any more no. discussion. No, I think if that's what if that's what it's saying, um, that it's it's definitely he's trying to definitely draw up a comparison. He's going, you know, you guys have spent your entire lives as Jews focusing on the Mosaic law, and he's trying to say to them, you've got a a greater covenant, you've got a greater person, you've got a, a high priest, an apostle in Jesus, who is more worthy of honor than you've given to Moses. Yeah. And they give Moses a lot of they honor. They give Moses a lot of honor. Yep. We are disciples right. of Moses, they said in John 8. We are disciples of Moses and, and Abraham and all these people. And Jesus says, no, if you really were, you'd follow me because they spoke about me. Yeah, right. And, you know, we in the previous podcast that we recorded, you and I, we spoke about the creator. And this kind of harkens back to that as well, that uh, the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. Mm. Jesus, God built. Yep, us. Well, we give build everything. We give great honor to Sir Christopher Wren, who built um, the big what's the church in London? Um, God, it escapes me now. Late in the day, um, not yeah. It's it's the big church that uh, is used in Mary Poppins, big faint famous oh, cathedral. I'm not a Poppins yeah, fan. Mary, yeah, um, <laughs> there's two main churches, two two main churches in London: Westminster Abbey and St Paul's Cathedral. There we go, St okay. Paul's Cathedral. Yeah. And we give honour. The fact that I couldn't remember the name, but I remember Sir Christopher Wren is case in point. There is that um, you know you you there's something about the creative force of the the creative identity of the one behind it, the person behind the building itself. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the analogy saying you know you make a big deal about about Moses, but, but Jesus actually created Moses. <laughs> Jesus created the house. Yeah. Okay. So um, what did I want to read here? 12, 12 and 14. I want to have a look at verse 12 and 14. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Um, We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Um, As it has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. So verse 14 there, if we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Stick to your guns. Consistency. Your guns. Consistent Christian life in the face of persecution, mm. in the face of the world trying to drift you away to its style of thinking. Yeah. Stick to your conviction. Your behavior. This is this is more of the similar stuff to what we read in 1 John. This is behavior. This is a conviction. This is a com- a deep conviction from the writer to the Hebrews to say how you live matters. Mm. 
You can't just think you're a Christian and then just live however you want. How you think matters. Stick to it. Don't turn away from the living God. Keep encouraging one another. Live, live together in community. And if you see someone, one John said, if you see someone, we didn't. I don't, don't think we quoted that bit. One John one nine. If you, um, if we no, that's not the bit where it says somewhere else in one John, probably chapter two, where it says, um, you know, if you see someone, draw them back. You'll cover over a multitude of sins. This sense of living in community and supporting one another and spurring one another on. Hebrews says to love and good deeds. Mm. He's urging that our behaviour matters and that you will find for a whole bunch of reasons, self conviction, um, the world ways, we'll find temptation to turn to other ways of living. Yeah, right. And he seems to be saying here that, well, well I'll, I'll get your idea on what this means To We've come to share in Christ, what that actually means, but we need to hang on to it to the very end. Mm-hmm. So what does sharing in Christ mean, do you think? Uh, um, let me just look at a different version because I want to make sure yeah, that yeah, I'm not sure. off on tra- on a tangent here. I reckon I'm hearing this. Um, what verse was it? Fourteen. Fourteen. For if NLT says, "For if we are faithful to the entrusting God, just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ." Yeah, that's what I thought it was going to go. So I think when we're sharing in Christ, we're, it, think that atonement language again. We are now participating in everything. When Jesus goes into the heavenly throne room, we go into the heavenly throne room. Everything that Jesus has is now ours. Yep. Uh, I think it's in Hebrews there. It says he, he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. He He wants to share all good things with us. So when we share in Christ, we, we share in everything he has. It all belongs to us. And therefore, it says if we're faithful to the end, it says in this version, if we're faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly or consistently, then we will get to share in all things. But mm. if we, God's willing to share stuff with us. Jesus wants to wants to call, call us his brothers and sisters. He cares in us, but if we willfully turn away and go, I don't want that anymore, we're going to miss out on sharing in all the goodness. Right. So that, I guess that takes, takes us to that. Uh, idea of once saved, always saved. Yes, it does. It's coming back to that whole concept of yeah. Cal- hyper-Calvinism, once saved, always saved, and yeah. where that leads. The book of Hebrews really puts pay to some of that once saved, always stuff, in my opinion. Yep. There are good godly people out there who have Calvinistic views and think, well, they weren't saved in the first place, and they reckon yep. they can argue that. Sure. But this just seems to be – it seems like you've got to be doing – gymnastics with the text to have that perspective. Because here he quotes Psalm 95. He's just saying, keep living. If you want to share in all that God has for you, he wants to share it with you, keep living it. And then he says, and he quotes this multiple times, um, the writer to the Hebrews, remember where it says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts yeah. as you did in the rebellion. It's Psalm 95. It's a fascinating psalm in itself. It starts with, come, let us go up to the house of the Lord and to the temple of our God. And they had this great celebration. You read Psalm 95. Halfway through the psalm, the tone of the psalm completely changes. It's like they're all happy. Yeah, let's go to the house of the God. And it's like the psalm changes like a prophet stands up. The picture is a prophet stands up and he says, hey, you lot, you're all happy, clappy. But Mm. today, are you really for him? If you hear his heart, don't harden your heart like the rebellions did in the past. And it's a call to come back and take seriously the offer of God rather than be flippant about it. I think the picture is they were flippant about it. And he's going, no, 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 take seriously the offer of sharing and live right 
and don't harden your heart and go, I'm going to take for the tree for myself. I'm going to define for myself. I'm going to, I'm going to um, look after myself. If you do that, you'll end up like those Israelites in the desert that rebelled. You'll end up like those Jews that were taken into Babylon. Yeah. Don't be like that. It's such a, it's a, such a sad thing, isn't it? To, you know, to think that people might just turn away from, mm. from what's been offered. And, and I guess we've, we've all, certainly you and I would have seen people that have been so, you know, full on, full on for, yeah. for Christ. And yeah. then it's tragic. They turn away and we don't know, we can't, Really no, judge those people. None of we us know, know where the line of the sand is. Yeah. Um, and what point someone will come back or can <laughs> come right. back. Yeah. But I always say it's like walking on the cliff. If I'm walking on a cliff on a footpath on the side of the cliff, I'm not going to walk as close to the edge of the cliff as I can. I'm going to be backed up against yeah. the wall as close as I can. I don't know where the line is for where I will step outside and, and harden my heart to the yeah. point of no return. So I'm not going to test that. I want to get away from that side of the cliff as far as I can and stay as close to the wall. Yeah. That's like, I want to live for God as much as I can, lest I might wander across that line and not realize it because I've been flippant. Yeah. And I guess that's, that's why that Psalm gets sad. That's why that Psalm gets because sad. Because the Psalmist is like, oh, you're going through the motions here, but you, know, it's all about is, you. This is a tragedy. An yes. Absolute tragedy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it says in Hebrew, maybe in Hebrews 10, it talks about the severity. It says, if, if we have once tasted, I think it's Hebrews, it might be James. If we have once tasted of the goodness of God and have turned our back on it, how tragic, it's impossible, it says, for, yeah. for you to come back from there. I think that's just trying to show how um, serious it is to experience the sharing of Christ and then dismiss it. Mm. Go, no, I'll, I'll go back to eating from the tree of God, knowledge of good and evil and I'll choose my own right and wrong in this world. Thanks very much, Jesus. Yeah. What a sad way to live. Yeah, it's very sad f for us. It must be so sad for, for the Lord yes. to, to see. Yeah. No, God, man, you were so close with me once. Yeah. Yeah, it breaks God's heart, definitely. We see that time and time again in the Old Testament. God did t takes no delight, it says, in the punishment of the wicked. Mm. It's his desire that, it says, all day long I, had, I held out my hand to a stubborn and obstinate people, but they wouldn't come to me. Yeah, and that's that's what all these authors Certainly in the New Testament, do isn't it? They're pouring out their hearts, pleading. Come saying, on, guys. look what Jesus has done for you. Please, yeah. please take it. And that's what well, we were talking about. This isn't it? We, we we need to plead with people more from the pulpit, I suppose. Yeah, to get people to understand that. Yeah, that, that's what I'm preaching about this week. The fact that. We do have an enemy and he's working his hardest to, to get you mm. off that Off cliff. the track, yeah, yeah, off the cliff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's good. And it's just so sad. Yep. Terrible. Okay, on a brighter note. On a brighter note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The bright note is we get to share in all yeah, the riches. it is. And <sighs> Okay. Hebrews chapter 5. Actually, before that, I want to read a bit from chapter 4 because it's not included in today's reading, but I think it's important. And I think it really 
it should have been included in chapter five, to tell you the truth. Uh, the high priest stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So chapter four, verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, so that's Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who has, is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we, as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We get to approach God's throne of grace with confidence mm. because of this wonderful high priest that we have, yep. don't we? Yep. Do you know what the what what is the Old Testament language that he is calling the throne of grace here? Oh, I guess it's the the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, yep. the mercy seat. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You'll see this concept of grace and mercy picked up throughout the Hebrews. Yep. And in fact, in the Old Testament, the Jews actually saw God's throne as the mercy seat because he was enthroned between the cherubim. This picture of those cherubim angels on there, that was his throne. And the Old Testament saw it as mercy. Mm. The, the Hebrew, the writer of the Hebrews is picking up on this and saying it's not just mercy. It's actually grace too. And you might have heard this cliche that mercy is not getting what we deserve Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Yeah. And I think that's the picture here that, that there's so much more on offer than just mercy. You're actually getting more than that. You're getting, yeah, yeah. You're getting empowerment to live a good life now. Not just to get by, but actually live a full life. Yep. That's, yeah. That, yeah, that's the whole atonement thing that's that the we atonement talked thing. about, yeah, Exactly. It? Yeah. It's not just the forgiveness. It's, it's not the, just the forgiveness. It's the, the empowering result to live a good life, yeah. to go on and be able to, to actually live that life now. Yep. So I mentioned this to Jeannie, John Bevere's the, the best sermon I've ever heard in my entire Christian life was a John Bevere message at Presence in 2009. He talked about grace. He said this, grace is God's empowering presence to do what truth demands of us. Yeah. It's day of atonement stuff. When we, we have access to this boldly, to this throne of grace, we are empowered to live for God. Mm. It's lovely. Yeah. Righty, uh, let's go. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 through 6 says, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. This is what we read about in Leviticus. Yes, that's right. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. I love that. Since he himself is subject to weakness, this is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was called. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming the high priest. But God said to him, you are my son, today I've become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So he quotes Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, two Psalms he quotes there. Yeah, okay. And he's just using those Psalms to say God chose Jesus and appointed him as the high priest. Yep. Yep. And isn't it a beautiful description of what the the way the high priest, or any priest I suppose these days, is supposed to, to the way he's supposed to deal with us, 
the way he's supposed to treat with empathetically, treat us. kindly, yep. compassionately. Yes, deal gently with gently, those who that's are right. ignorant and going astray. Yeah, not be judgmental. not be judgmental, not be harsh, harsh. not be dominant. See, with all those priests at the time of Jesus, the Sadducees, they were they were abusing the people. Yeah, he says you wait, and he says to the Pharisees things like. You weigh your, you weigh them down with burdens that's impossible for them to carry. That's exact opposite of what a priest should yeah, be. That's right. Yeah. And so, you know, if we uh, think of you as a priest, uh, did you get my collar? Yeah, that's right. This is why you have to offer sacrifices for your own sins. You've got to remember that, you know, you don't deal with the, the because the I'm frail too. Exactly. Yeah. Unlike Jesus, who is the perfect high priest. That's the comparison. This is that Jesus is better than Moses thing that he's trying to say here yep. from Hebrews 1, that Jesus is different because he's perfect. Okay, so who or what is Melchizedek? Melchizedek is um, a Mel character Mel in the... Well, Mel I can't do it. Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Uh, he, <laughs> he is a character we see only appears randomly um, three times. Mm -hmm. We find him in Genesis... 12, 13, somewhere around there. Yep. And he appears, he's the king of Salem. And it says that he's Melchizedek. This king of Melchizedek is king of Salem and priest of God most high. Salem is the place that becomes Jerusalem. He's the king of peace, it says. Well, Hebrews comments on this, but Melchizedek is this guy and Abraham offers him a tithe. He comes out and Abraham offers him a tithe of the spoils. Then he disappears. Mm -hmm. He reappears in Psalm 110 where it's, talking about the Messiah prophetically, and it says you are going to be a priest just like that guy in the Old Testament, Melchizedek. You're going to be like him. You're going to be a different kind of priest. And he disappears again and reappears here in the book of Hebrews, and he's, he's, the doctrine is built substantially on him here in the book of Hebrews. Yep. That's the character of who Melchizedek is. And just pull up a Bible dictionary and you can read that stuff or Google Melchizedek and you'll get that. Yep. yep. And th there's different theories on Melchizedek was, who he was, was Jesus, was he Jesus, wasn't or a he? type of Jesus, and yeah, all that, that sort of stuff, sort of stuff yes. isn't it? But yeah, and I used to be convinced he was. I'm less convinced yeah. that he is now. I just suffice to say it, that he was a special. He's, something about him, priest. He was yes, that's right. He's not the same as as Aaron's priesthood. That's the point that the Hebrew writer is making. Yeah. All of the future, the priests that we read about here in the Old Testament, in from are all descendants of Abraham, uh, descendants of Aaron. They're all Levites, yep. and that's important. They come from one tribe of Israel. This Melchizedek, he doesn't come from that tribe, and he's also a king. Yeah, none of the pre other priests, Aaron's priests, weren't kings. The, all the kings come from the line of Judah. Yes, Jesus right. is a king and a priest, yep. and he. And that's why the writer to the Hebrews links him to Melchizedek. He says, like this guy Melchizedek, who was a king and a priest, Jesus is a king and a priest as well. Yeah. And there's probably whole books written oh, about people Melchizedek. People would have written sure. their doctrinal theses on yeah. like, and dissertations on Melchizedek for who sure. Who might be. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay, I've got here verse 11. The title of this passage here is Warning Against Falling Away. Once again, here we have the, the author giving a warning. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Wow, you no longer try to understand. Yeah. Wow, I like that. It's like they, they've given up even interest in trying to figure it out. Yeah. Wow. I can see why it says that's a warning. Yes, yeah. Is this why we study the Bible? Is this why we listen to podcasts? Because we are trying to understand. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, it, I think that's right. If we think we know, 
or we think it's not important, then we're on shaky ground. It's hard to make it clear to you because you've just... Well, the NLT says you've become spiritually dull and you just don't seem to listen. So, you know, that that's another way to put it. Yeah, exactly. Spiritually dull, don't seem to listen. The NLT says, uh, what version is it? Uh, what verse is it? 11. 11. When I reset it, it went back to the start. Verse 11. It says, we have many hard things, we have many things to say, uh, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are so dull of hearing. Yeah, so there's this sense of complacency, mm. disinterest. So I think your point is, let's not be those people. Yeah, he goes on to say, you know, you you should be on food, but yes. you're only drinking, drinking milk. You haven't. You haven't progressed. You haven't progressed. Yeah, and then he, and Hebrews, I don't think we're doing Hebrews 6, but Hebrews 6 actually starts with that opening passage and goes, let's, let's leave behind yeah. those milk. It's time to get onto some meat. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you, you should be by now here, but you're just dull. Yeah. You're just yeah. here. Yeah. And the, yeah, once again, this is telling us don't just rest on Christ's laurels, but yeah. do a bit yourself as well. You yeah. know? You're going to help the church. So let's talk as pastors to people. This could seem heavy, okay? So this might even seem heavier than we are with you when we preach to you or we we talk to you as as congregation members. But and and if we haven't done enough of this, we're sorry because this is actually important for you. This Mm. this is important that um, we take our faith seriously. We we we're not saying this, and we're not, and and the writers aren't urging you with these um, strong urges about how you conduct your life and how you live. They're not doing it because they're down on you. They're not doing it because they, um, they're angry with you. They're doing it because they genuinely believe that you will fulfill the best life you possibly have. You will fulfill who you are called to be if you if you take your faith seriously. Yeah. If you commit yourself to these things, so so we would urge you if you're not reading your Bible, pick it up and start reading it. Start somewhere. Listen to this podcast. Start somewhere. Start to feed your spirit. If you're not attending church regularly. Start to attend regularly. Find a way. And we can't say that strong enough because we know it's best for you. Not because we need you to be in church. Not because we need you to somehow be spiritual. This is the best way to live uh, as a fulfilled Christian. It's a life that honors God. With um, What did 1 John say? You know, it's, We've mentioned that again where 1 John says um, you, have to, you have to live a life that imitates Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a... It's a it's a serious call. It is. And, and in verse 14, it says solid food or, you know, some good teaching, learning yourself, is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Oh, wow, that's good, isn't it? So, you know, if we've given up learning, we're We can't distinguish good and evil. Things, that's yeah. right. And what is that food? That food is fellowship. The word of God, prayer, worship, community, living mm. in community, attending, studying, discussing the scriptures together, they're all the things that produce solid food. If all your food is the local news or social media or the prevailing worldview in the workplace, if that's where you're getting your food, you won't be able to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Yeah, exactly. We To do that, we need to, to make sure that our food is godly food, not worldly food. Yeah. Even just being mindful of the Lord as we go about our yeah. daily business. Look at a tree or something. I love trees, but look at a tree yeah. or look at a, 
I don't know, one of your friends or whatever and see and, and see, see how much Christ loves yes, them. Or, yes. Or what he's done for Bringing Christ into your us, day-to-day life. You know? yeah. yeah. All of those things. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, that's what we're pleading with you. If you're watching, listening to this, please do that. Yeah, that's right. And, and when we, when we take that step and we um, put a bit of effort in, we're, we're not just helping ourselves. We're helping each other, aren't we? Yeah, it's you right. Know, it's kingdom life, isn't it? Church. We're actually building up exactly. others. Yeah. Yeah, we're actually doing something for other people. And if you're not motivated for yourself, please be motivated for your family. Yeah. Please be motivated for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because when you're not engaged, we miss out. Exactly. Yep. You know, there's, part of, there's part of my destiny is locked up and established in the heart of each person that's listening to this in some way. Yes. And I'm the poorer if I don't, and you're the poorer if you don't experience what I have to offer and vice versa. That's how the body of Christ works. We're all interlinking stones. That's right. And if you're not coming along to church. Yeah. Then there's a stone out of the wall. There's a stone out of the wall. Not only are you missing out, but you're actually weakening the rest of the wall. Yeah, that's right. We're missing out on what you've got to offer. That's right. Exactly. Yep. I I don't want to miss out. No. I don't want to miss out selfishly, but I also don't want to miss out on being able to be that blessing for other people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's too, it's too wonderful to not partake of it all. Beautiful. Hebrews chapter eight. This is the last one in this um, podcast. Okay. I believe, unless I've missed some again, (laughs) like I do sometimes. (laughs) Hebrews eight. Now this is it. Hebrews eight. So, boy. I feel like we should read the whole thing. Should we read the whole thing? Go for it, Jeff. Okay. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human beings. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator, of of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, 
Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So this is a good summing up, isn't it, of of what we've been through in this podcast. Of what Jesus does when he atones yeah, uh, and and brings us back into relationship with him. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And some of it sounds a little, maybe a little bit hard to get, like verse 7. It says, um, for God, uh, if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, mm. it's like saying that God got it wrong. Yeah, but, yeah. But when we read on a little bit more, verse uh, Verse 8 says that God found fault in the people yes, because the people didn't, couldn't abide by the covenant. Yeah, and, and Paul picks up on this elsewhere, I think maybe in Romans somewhere, and he says the same thing. He says the law is good, but it shows up. The law showed up our inability to keep it. Yeah. It was taught up. It was instruction. It was trying to show us it was perfect, the perfect law of God, but it shows us how fallible we are. Uh, we talked about this earlier. James says, if you look into the perfect Torah of God um, and forget what you look like, because it, 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 it illuminates our hearts. It illuminates where we don't measure. It illuminates who we are and who we should be and who we're not. So that's what law is supposed to be. And that God found fault with the people because that law written on stone was a, a standard, but it was missing something. Even if they wanted to live by it, they couldn't. Yeah. Because... Paul talks about this sin, sin nature, this this capital S, this force of sin, this blackness that's in the world that stops us from living by that law. Mm. And, and God's saying, not the law is wrong, but there's something wrong. Sin nature is preventing even good intended people from being able to fulfill that law. And then he, Jer- and he goes on and he quotes Jeremiah 31, this beautiful prophecy about the new covenant. He says, it's Jeremiah 31, I think it is where he quotes there. And he says, you know, I'm going to take that law and not write it on stone anymore. I'm going to write those, that Torah, that instruction on their heart. Yeah. And now it's going to be inside of them because I'm going to deal with sin. I'm going to atone for the sin that gets in the way. I'm going to defeat the power of sin. I'm going to snatch back the keys of death and hell from the devil, all those atonement theories that we talked about. And now I'm actually going to have the ability to take the Torah off stone and put the Torah on their heart and they will be able to fulfill this purpose. They will be able to live the way I've called them to live. That's yeah. how I think this summary picture of atonement is supposed to work. Yeah, I think so, yeah. It's, uh, it goes from from trying to obey the law to a, a relationship type yeah. understanding, yep. doesn't it? And that, yep. And that's that's how we can live this life that we're called to. Yeah, it's now we're it's in, in relationship us. with Jesus. He's dwelling in us. The power of sin has been atoned for. And now what was, it finishes with saying what was, the first one is now obsolete and eventually it'll pass out. I mean, in one sense, it passed out when the temple was destroyed just a few years after this was written. But I think there's still a sense in which we still try to live by do's and don'ts. We've talked about that yeah. in Colossians. Paul's saying that's not going to actually get you there. What's going to get you there is a relationship with Jesus that, that, that um, empowers you and inspires you to live differently. Yeah. yeah. There's a better word there somewhere, isn't there, of what it does. That more than empower and inspire, it's a, maybe there, there is no word for it, but it, but it, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. It's, 
I don't know either. I'm thinking about it. it well, yeah, I, it's two kind of things because we can be inspired to live right but still not able to live right. That's yeah. the empowering component. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, or we can be empowered to live right but not be inspired to live right. And I think that's where a lot of Christians, Protestant Christians fall into. Yeah. We don't, we think that just because we're empowered that it's going to happen. And I think we need empowering and inspiration together. Yeah. Yeah. One is I want to live this way and I thank you that I can, Lord, because you've defeated sin. I don't know if there's a word. I don't know either. Maybe it's in another language. Maybe it is. Maybe, German maybe, maybe it is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. It's yes. This, I guess it's kind of written there that it'll be in their minds and on their hearts. It's yes. Kind of becomes part of our DNA almost, doesn't it? Well, it does because it's it, actually if you read verse eleven after this happens and he writes it on their hearts, he gives an ex, gives an example of what it is. It's no longer will they need to teach their neighbour or say you need to know the Lord because they'll all know me from the least to the greatest. Yeah. Because why? I'll forgive their wickedness and I'll remember their sins no more. He's dealt with the sin problem, and now. It's not like a need. It's it's not saying we shouldn't receive teaching. It's just saying it'll be so much a part of you yeah. that you won't need to be instructed externally. You won't need to have people reprimanding you or challenging you. It'll be so much a part of you that you'll just want to be this way and you'll be empowered to live this it's way. It's almost like your conscience sort of thing. It's almost like natural human uh, nature. Knowing that, yeah. yeah. And I would say that's actually God's perfect human. The person who does that is actually the real human. You're actually living the way, I think I mentioned this on a podcast elsewhere. Um, that's actually when we're living the way we should live. It's not abnormal. That's actually the normal human life. Normal human life is a life that is is instinctively, intuitively living and reflecting and imaging God. Yeah. And so for the, for those of us listening that, that don't feel that way, that doesn't make it untrue. You, you were designed for this. Yes. You know, you yeah. may feel that you're not worthy or or that you could never walk into a church or anything, but that's not the truth. That's the not truth the truth. is you were designed for this. Yep, and God's intention, and he loves you so much that he went to such a great depth to do what was required so that you could experience this. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah, we won't experience it fully until the resurrection, but we have that hope. We have a down payment now. Yep, and you belong. And you fit. We want you to come to church. Yeah, be a part of God's family. Yeah. Amen. Or not not come to church. We want you to be a part be, of the church. Be part of the church. That's yes. Better, yeah. Add yep. value. Be a brick in the wall and yeah. and uh, be a part of what God's doing. A living brick, a living stone. Yep. And I think you just read it, but I think verse 12 sums up atone, atonement when it says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Amen. That's beautiful, isn't it? It's yep. a great note to, what a great promise. to finish up our... Little talk on atonement. Atonement. Little talk. Two hours and twenty-three minutes. Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's worth it. It it's was good. It. Yep. All right. Well, thanks, Jeff. Thanks again, Pastor. Thanks for Rowan. being with me. You're a champion, mate. Thank I you. Really appreciate everything you've got to to uh, teach us and fun. to the love that you show for May us. May we go well. ahead together and live for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, everyone. Amen. Bye. <laughs>